We're live. Episode number 71, David. Yes? Yes, sir. 71. 71 with Adam Sauce and Barry Habib. Barry, this is your first time here. This is my maiden voyage. Yes. Yes. By the way, if you don't know Barry, Barry is a three-time crystal ball winner with Zillow and a former lead producer of Rock of Ages, the movie Rock of Ages, which I've spoken about on the podcast mm -hmm. multiple times. With Tom Cruise, there was a Broadway show which you led, but you were also in the movie. I was the record Rocket producer. So tell us the whole story. Tell us your background a little bit. So um, from my experiences on CNBC, I was on CNBC for a long, long time. And uh, someone someone liked, I guess, either my look or my voice. And they said, hey, would you like to be in a movie? I'm like, heck yeah, I would love to be in a movie. So I had no clue that I was going to be dressed up in this pastel outfit as Colonel Kaboom in this kid's movie, right? So, But I networked, and you know that's how things happen and wound up being in a few other movies. I wound up being in nine movies, and one of the movies I was in is a great movie. It's called Barry Monday. I, uh, I actually play the, uh, I play the doctor, and uh, I made the trailer in the movie Barry Monday. It's a really good movie. And so the guy who directed it and wrote it is Chris Dorenzo. So we became friendly, showed me the script of Rock of Ages, four other guys and myself. We took a shot, took it off Broadway. People went nuts for it. We said, let's really get stupid and put it on Broadway, and good thing I was ignorant about how risky it is. But we did, and it was a big success. What was bigger, but the, the movie or Broadway? So the movie I wasn't really crazy about. Um, maybe, you were in it. Well, maybe that's the reason. But now, Kyle, uh, let, let's get uh, let's get some IMDb up here, so, Kyle. Let's get so, on this. So I, I wasn't crazy about the movie because it made a lot of changes. The theatrical experience was absolutely incredible. So we we went. We were 27th longest running show on Broadway. We stopped, and then what happened was we we wound up uh, going back on off Broadway because it's a little easier. No unions, easier overhead, and uh, then COVID hit. So we've been shut down mm. since then. Oh, so you were doing it all the way up until COVID? Yeah, yeah. The Broadway yeah, so show. Some of the movies I was in, yeah, yeah. What should we look at here, Barry? Give us uh, a little you know tour what? I, of I, your I, I, really, I really like Barry Monday. You know, it's, listen, this is not Click a... Click on uh, Barry Monday. I'm trying to see which movie that oh, was, put, Barry put, Monday. Put the, put, no, put the trailer on for Barry. This we is a great cannot, movie. We cannot because it's, it'll, uh, it'll flag us. So Barry okay. Monday... The very one then wakes up one morning and talks to realize that he's missing his family jewels to so make sure he make him <laughs> he I, I learns also, he's I'm, the doc, I'm the doctor who removed him. <laughs> oh, wow. yeah. He learns he's facing a paternity uh, lawsuit filed by a woman he can't remember having sex with. I mean, it's a very, uh, based on a true story, I'm assuming, yeah. right? It must be. Yeah, it must be. Okay, so uh, how, how does that go with real estate? How, how do you go into becoming the real estate expert? So, you know, it's interesting because if you have a lot of different business interests that are different, um, like with anything else, you, there are certain things that hold true regardless of the industry. You just got to learn the industry. If you meet somebody and they speak six different languages, like, wow, they're really smart. But when it comes to different vocations, people say, well, no, you can only pigeonhole you in one. You don't have to. You, know, you can have very many different uh, business expertise um, over time. You now, know? you run businesses, though. I mean, because the way we got introduced to each other, I get a call from Greg Scher. Yes. Greg says there's a guy that wants to talk to you. He says, look up this guy. I look him up because he apparently had investors or some business dealings he had with you, thinks highly of you. Then uh, uh, you and I get on the phone together. Then we had a meeting together at Louis Bossy with a woman that showed up with us where your three-year-old son flirted with. My, my three-year-old grandson. Three-year-old grandson. Yeah. Hold on, you're with. a grandpappy? I'm, I'm a two-time grandpappy. My wow. daughter, Nicole, just had baby Karina, named wow. after my mother. Um, couple just a couple ago, of days yeah, ago. Just a couple of days ago. So uh, this is, you said this is your second. My grandchild? second grandchild. Yes, oh, cool. yes, yes, yes. 
Well, you know, uh, his last name is Habib. You know Habibi. You know how you know what Habibi means. I'm sure you get this all the time. Dear. You know what that means? Habibi. My dear. My dear. My dear. My love. Love. Yeah. Friend. You know? Habibi. You're, you're Habibi. In. Habibi. There's a song with Habibi. Yeah. <laughs> love that song. Every Saturday night, I'm out in the club you? and live. Oh. I somehow Habibi. see it. Meeting Armenian girls. My... Adam meeting Armenian girls. That's so look, actually not far yeah. off our, from the truth. Our goal today is to get smarter when it comes down to real estate today. Should yes. I buy a house today? Should I refinance? Does Janet Yellen know what she's talking about? Is she the expert? Is Powell the expert? Who's controlling the bubble? Who's influencing the bubble? You know, maybe I ought to wait for interest rates to come down because I heard rates went up a little bit. You know, maybe I should wait six more months. Maybe things are going to go should back I to what it used to be. Now, you know, all of these things, we're going to figure got some of that stuff out. He's going to reveal it throughout we, the show. We're going we're gonna to see what Barry has to teach us about that. We've got a lot of different topics to get into, a ton of different topics mm -hmm. to get into. By the way, how does somebody get a crystal ball award with Zillow? How does that happen? Most accurate real estate. Program. They get 150 of the top economists, and I guess I <clears throat> somehow fell into that category. And, uh, you each give your forecasts and your predictions. And as it turns out, three times that was the most accurate. Wow. And also in the top 10 the last five years, but uh, 17, 19, and 20 was the most accurate. Now, how do 17, they, 19, and 20. Yeah. How do they how do you, judge accuracy? Yeah, that's a good question. Sorry. How do you, you give how do you your forecasts and whatever the actual appreciation levels were based upon your, you know, as, who's closest to getting the correct appreciation? From, from a national average? From, national. from where? Yeah, oh, wow. national. And what's your formula? How do you, how do you come about with so, your formula? So, you know, um, so my son Dan really helps out a lot. He's my right hand person. And so we, we look at this together. But I really give a lot of credit to the people that, so I'm blessed to be a professional speaker. So I go out and I meet with, my audience is typically real estate agents and mortgage professionals all around the country. And you get feedback from them. And so I learn and get a lot of feedback. Before When data comes out, it's old already by the time you see it, right? But if you talk to somebody, you meet them and you press the flesh, they're telling you what's going on right now. So we were able to see trends and develop algorithms based upon that. Forecasting, cool. crystal so one, ball. One is going out there and shaking hands and yeah. you're hearing what people are saying who are selling out there, they're meeting with clients on a daily basis. And then by the time you get the article that's written, it's already too late because mm. somebody knew about it 24 hours before they wrote it. So having said but that- But not only that, but the data is old because a lot of times it's based on closings, which means this is market conditions three months The data ago. we read in an article, it's already too old. It's too old. Got it. Okay. Well, let's let's see what you got to say about some of these things here that's going on. And if on you've got any uh, lottery predictions of some numbers since you got the crystal ball on your side, I, we'd I, all love to know. I highly doubt we're going to know that anytime soon. Folks, if you're watching this, you got questions about real estate, post your questions on Twitter. Hashtag PBD podcast. Go on Twitter. Pose your questions with hashtag PBD podcast regarding real estate, and we'll see what Barry has to do with that. Kai, uh, track the questions going on Twitter, and we'll come to some of you guys regarding your questions. But prior yeah. to going into the real estate questions, mm -hmm. your favorite topic is what Peter Thiel recently did. Okay, so let's go to page three. Peter yeah, Thiel. But hold on. Before, before we get yeah. started, I feel like we should make an announcement. What's that? I mean, we're going to get right into business. I get it. Well, you had a pretty big damn weekend. I mean, let's I had just a, not I had skip a baby. I over did. what just I mean, happened, Pat. I had a Brooklyn Ivy bedavid that yes, arrived. Yes, you did. Well, Jen uh, had the on, baby. On, on, uh, she did. Yeah, and she, by the way, shout out to Jen, man. Here's the thing. So June 26th is our anniversary. It's 12 years we've been married. Wow. At 5.39 in the morning, uh, baby Brooklyn is born on, an, on the anniversary. Amazing. Yes. And uh, uh, so we go into the hospital 8 o'clock at night. She goes into labor. Boom, 5.39 in the morning. Obviously, mm -hmm. the last thing you want is labor to go from midnight, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, because you're all not, not going on. You, know, you have no sleep, and you go into it. 
and then baby comes, and you got to go to a few more hours, and then finally she gets some rest. A couple hours after having a baby, Jen gets up and walks around. She's going to the bathroom, coming back. Just an absolute trooper. Fourth baby that she had natural. No Pitocin, no epidural, nothing. None of it. Not a single thing. That's insane. Nothing. Yeah, that's absolutely insane. She took nothing. Four. She's a G. Ba- she's, a, she's a G at the highest level. And then 35 hours later, she came home. Yeah. And it was so cool bringing uh, the baby home. She, I put the uh, Brooklyn in the car, and Dylan, Santa, Papa, Tico, seeing the kid reacting. It was so cool to see each of their reactions. Tico's reaction was very I- interesting when he looked at his eyes. Dylan was ecstatic. Yes, Senna wanted to play with her, you know, and miss mommy so much. But it was a great Papa experience. Papa in the back seat was like, uh, "I've done this before." On cloud nine. But yeah. here's the thing that we talked about. I said, "You know, babe, moving forward." Wherever we go to dinner, we got to take two cars because it's officially party of eight minimum. It's mm. the four kids. Yeah. It's me, Jen, Melva, and Papa. That's yeah. eight going to dinner. We have a problem. Table for eight. Everywhere we go, it's a minimum. If you join us, it's nine. If Mario joins us, ten. If you join, well, eleven. Mario's going to be there. Hello? Mario's going to be there. Wow. But, but it's a minimum of table of eight. But we're excited. We're excited to have four kids here now. And uh, if if we had it our way, we had it my way. You know, if we were ten years younger, we'd have ten more kids. But you know, yeah. we're limited at four. Right. Well, now, I remember when you had three, and you were guys were kind of talking about a fourth. And Jen was like, "I don't know about." Yeah. A- Believe it or yeah. not, the idea of wanting to have a fourth was brought up by Jen. Really, Jen eventually. Not, mine was five. Then we settled on three. Okay. We didn't talk about it. And Jen a year ago brought it up, saying, "Babe, I think I want to have fourth. Yeah. I said, "Why?" She says, I want Senna to have a baby sister. So the big God listened to the prayer, yes. and we have a baby sister for Senna. There you go. So Senna has somebody to play with now. So I know, I know we, we don't want to obviously spend too much time on this, but what a whirlwind last six months you've had. I mean, can we touch on that for a second? Uh, You're living in Dallas. Yeah. You say, all right, we're moving to South Florida. Last minute. And a, a month, a, like literally, how much time did we tell you guys that we're moving, moving to Florida? I don't know, like 48 hours. Let's Kai, go back up your it? shit. We're going. What was it when we said we're moving? Like how much time did you actually have? I mean, from the time I was told that we were moving, I was back in Norway, I think that was a month and eight days till I was on the way to, to, to Florida. There you go. Four weeks. And, and we gave that additional week hovering, mm-hmm. like you're just kind of making it a little bit easier So you for get you. to South Florida. Jen's pregnant. You're Jen's moving. Pregnant. Yeah, and, and you rent 40, the house. We rent the office. Let's not forget, forty people have COVID. Let, <laughs> yeah. Let's not forget let's not the forget COVID that situation. Everyone COVID. Yeah, yes. so let's not forget yeah. everyone. Let's not forget that everybody, everything in a move to the office was made by Mario and Mickey mm-hmm. and you and I don't know who it was. Eric, yeah. couple Eric, people yeah. were helping out. Yes, yeah, the move here, and then long story short, you know, we uh, rented a house, then eventually we bought a new house, and then. We're now looking at a couple buildings. We looked at four buildings this week at Fort Lauderdale, a few nice buildings that we're going to be making an offer on. And then meanwhile, we've hired four new C-suite executives with insurance side, PHP. Mm-hmm. We've got, we're up to now 35 employees here full-time with oh, Valuetainment. So we got, we got a lot of stuff going on. It's been yeah, pretty busy. Yeah, there's people walking around that I, have no, I, I, don't, know they, I don't know who they That's are. That's the idea of growing a company, though. Yeah. That's what I love about it. So you've got two companies that are growing, and we've got a lot of good things going on. So, and, but, but even at the same time, Right now, uh, I probably have, I've never had a time in my life where we have this many big projects pending at the same time, ever. We have the Vault Conference coming up, which we're about to announce two new speakers. One of the speakers we just got, this is a guy we've been trying to get for the last three years. The guy has nothing to do with business, but he has everything to do with business. Everything to do with business. I can't wait to announce. He's a GOAT. He's the greatest of all time. 
in his space will announce is that. Is it the name. admiral? Is it I the can't admiral? tell you who he is, but okay. we'll announce it next week. <laughs> we have another person that's coming that's going to have to do with data analytics. The best in his world when it comes down to data analytics. Both of those guys will be at our event at the vault. I don't have the typical lineup of speakers that people have at their events. I don't go after social media influencers. I like data people. I like business people to be at the event. We're gonna have vaults gonna be absolutely out of this world type of an event. September first. September first in, in Miami. Diplomat. We're gonna have a yacht event afterwards, a party, maybe even an after party at the house, possibly for like fifty people. We'll do a low key type nice. of a party at the house, and then we got things going on. Finally, I worked on a uh, fiction book for five years, and uh, eventually I just set it aside. It's one hundred seven thousand words. That's eventually. That's now coming to life mm-hmm. and we're putting some uh, we, we we're, we're making some big moves with this book when it comes out i can't wait people are gonna read the book they're gonna think i'm absolutely crazy what's on my mind but it is what it is i've been holding off on going up going live with this book for a while i think it's time we got a lot of projects going on so anyways long story short lots moving right now two of the biggest announcement will be made at the vault at the end of the vault which people are gonna have to they'll see what project we got going on i'm going to fort worth tomorrow for a shotgun flight, one-day flight that I'm going and coming back, I'm meeting with some of the most powerful uh, uh, investment bankers in uh, Fort Worth for the entire day. It's going to be big in uh, Fort Worth, like Oil County, and then coming back. So we got we got big things cooking. Big things. So you cooking, don't really have much going on right now. Things are pretty chill in PBD's life. No, no big deal. I can't no, see no myself babies, with nothing. that. Nah, that's a boring life. You know, you know it. That's a boring love- life to play small. Nothing, nothing about what we got. And by the way, here, here's one thing, like. Somebody asked me a question the other day. They said, Pat, what is the driver? What is the biggest driver? People mm-hmm. don't realize what the driver is. We talk about making history and all that other stuff. I'll tell you today what the biggest driver is, like what my biggest concern today is. We escaped Iran because in Iran we didn't have any voice. You couldn't say anything. You had to, like, imagine being quiet your entire life because you're afraid if you, God forbid, you tell anybody what your faith is, you're going to jail. Wow. God forbid you tell anybody what your religion is, your parents are going to get in. God, so you have to be, just be silenced your entire life. I cannot stand being silenced with opinions and thoughts that we have. I can't stand it. So the next phase, next 20 years, is to be able to give a platform to those who have been silenced in a complete different way where you have some opinions, respectful opinions. You have some thoughts. You have some ideas. There's a little bit of controversy to it. Fine. Come and tell us what your thoughts are. Let's have some good debate. Mm-hmm. Let's hash it out. And let's let the audience decide for themselves. Yeah. So my, my biggest motivation next 20 years is going to be to make sure we give voice to the people that have been silenced a little bit. And I want to have some entertainment. I want to laugh. I want to make a lot of unique projects together. So that, that's the next 20 years. There's, there's a lot of silencing going on right now. I'm not a fan of cancel, that. The cancel culture I'm is terrible. We just had an episode. We did a, a, a podcast last week. Our short clip channel got suspended because I told a tweet that Cole Beasley had. We brought it up. The channel got a strike and it was suspended that's for annoying. a week. The value team is short clips. I, I just think there's too much of that going on right now where people are worried about different opinions. Listen, just let people hear the opinions and make up your mind for yourself. You know, I'm a guy that's read Atlas Shrug, and I'm a guy that's read Communist Manifesto. You read those books, something's going to make sense to you on both sides, and you're going to say, you know what? I understand what Carl was talking about because he was upset because what happened with him, and here's a guy. Let me go find out what he's all about. I understand what Ayn Rand is talking about. I relate to this. I get it. My argument got stronger. But to say you can only read one side and you can only do this, that's a little bit of thinking you already have all the answers, and, and I'm not about that. I want my kids to read books and have an opinion for themselves through debate. So we're going to do our part. And uh, uh, I have a feeling the man upstairs is going to be with us because he's been with us for a while. As long as the vision's real, you're going to be all right. Our vision is very real. It's very sincere. The right people are showing up and we're not slowing down. 
God keeps us healthy, the next 20, 40 years are going to be epic. You're going to read about it. You're going to write about it. You're going to watch movies about it. Crystal clear. It's not arrogance. It's pure confidence. And it's just becoming a reality. So that's that part. Can we get into the podcast? Because I want to learn from this. Man. I Is do that too. Okay but I you? mean, I think that was great what you just did for the last few yeah. minutes. That was uh, great. Well, we it, needed it. I, I, uh, a little pep in our step now. I, Barry I, understands the story. We're yeah, good. I, I, think, I think it's necessary. It's so weird. The word to me today is necessary. It's mm. not even about... The houses. It's not about. I drive a truck today. Like I don't know if people realize. I drive a damn truck. I drive a Ford truck, pickup truck. Well, it's a nice one. It is a truck, though. <laughs> it's a truck. I, you know, I, Shelby. I've had the, the the nice cars, and I love all the nice yep. cars. I live in a nice place. I have a good life. But the next phase is purely going to a bit of a fight that we're gonna have. We're gonna have the fun part, but the vision's gonna become a reality. I'm very confident about it. Very, very confident about it. So we'll see what's gonna happen with that. Again. Excited. Uh, a, a media game, you're dealing with heavyweights, and to deal with heavyweights, you mm-hmm. have to be able to face them off and have fun with them and build a relationship with mm-hmm. them, and I think we're going to be able to pull that off. We'll see. We'll see if we have the goodies. The next 20 years is going to tell us if we have the goodies or not. We will find out the next 20 years. Okay, real estate. Before we get into real estate, I want to go into the Peter Thiel story yes. with you, okay? So Peter Thiel, billionaire, libertarian, a guy who was one of the first investors in Facebook. He put a half a million dollars in Facebook. He has amassed a $5 billion fortune in tax-free Roth IRA account. Now, if you don't know how Roth IRAs work different than the IRA, you put money into an IRA, it's pre-tax money. You get a write-off every year. But at the end of it, say you're you're putting $4,500 every year into an IRA. 30 years later, you got half a million dollars. You take that half a million dollars out, you will pay taxes on the half a million dollars. Mm -hmm. The Roth IRA, you put money after taxes into the Roth. And then eventually, you're making tax-free money. You decide to take the money out after 59 and a half. Great. You don't pay any taxes. So how has he raised and increased his account to $5 billion? That's the question. This is a business insider story. PayPal co-founder Peter Thiel has managed to grow a tax-free retirement account worth less than $2,000.99 to $5 billion today, according to a report from ProPublica. The Roth IRA was created by Congress in 1997 as a way to, for middle-class Americans, he's definitely not middle-class, to save for retirement dependent of their employer retirement account initially had $2,000 per year contribution limit. Today, the contribution limit is $6,000. Americans that make more than $140,000 per year are unable to contribute to the account. That's because the tax treatment of a Roth IRA is so beneficial to its users that it allows after-tax money to compound for decades in the stock market and then be withdrawn tax-free as long as the owner is 59 and a half years old. Thiel grew his fortune by using his Roth IRA account to invest in early-stage startups, which translated to massive windfalls when those successful companies went public. Years later from there, Thiel was able to use that windfall to invest in more early-stage companies within his Roth IRA account, now worth $5 billion. Thoughts? Sorry, go ahead. A similar story on one of the other PayPal founders who did the same thing. And I think that that's why you're hearing for a lot of calls for it. We should limit the benefit. Right now, if the numbers are out there, like $2 million should be the limit threshold of what you can benefit. And the other aspect of this that's really interesting is you get the step-up basis when you pass it on to your heirs, which is another thing that they're trying to poke. They want the benefit to stop at death. It's just a difficult thing to do because you know, Peter Thiel was in a position where he had the ability to invest in real early startups, do it mm-hmm. through the Roth IRA, and then the explosive growth over, I think he started this you know, over 20 years ago, that explosive growth over time, you know, that's how you reach these enormous numbers. So, you know, I watch CNBC all the time, and it, this is like the number one story on CNBC right now. Like, how the hell did this happen? So if you're not familiar with the Roth IRA, I'm a huge fan of it, right? 
So what I tell people is if you're going to start investing, start investing long-term buy and hold. If you work for a company, especially a company that has a match with a 401k, that's a great option. Free money, it's a match. IRA, that's another option. But if you want to kind of do something outside your company or if you're an independent contractor or if, you don't, if your company doesn't have a match or 401k, a Roth IRA is an amazing option. Like I've been telling our friend Eric Galera to get a Roth IRA for about a year now. And he's like, yeah, maybe next week. All right. Anyway, get started. That's the best way. You know, I say the best. Eric, listen to this. Listen to the guy already. Adam here. So, you know, they said the best day to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The next best day is today. So Roth IRA, I started a Roth IRA in 2008, right after the Great Recession. I had no clue about investing. I had no clue about a 401k. I can barely spell 401k. I remember I started taking my company match. Well, you know how to spell Pen15, though. I do. I do. I just learned today what Pen15 meant. I (laughs) didn't know it until you and David taught me today. Okay, go ahead. Keep going. So I started a Roth IRA and I started a 401k and I started investing that that way. Now, here's the catch. The Roth IRA is so good that they only allow certain people to um, contribute, right? So I remember when I was first starting, I wasn't making 120 grand, whatever the number was. 140. So it was amazing. So it was 140 grand. Now I'm making a little bit more than that, so I can't contribute. So I haven't been able to contribute in whatever it's been, almost 10 years now. But for anyone out there making less than 140 grand, if you don't have a 401k, get your ass involved with the Roth IRA. The flip side of that, we'll get back to Peter Thiel here, is this is insane. You're talking about how they're maybe capping what a Roth IRA could possibly be a couple million bucks. When I read this, I thought he had five million in there. And I was like, oh, damn, yeah, how do you do saying, that? Kai, it's five million, it's five not million. five billion. It can't be five billion. Yeah. Five billion in a Roth IRA. And when you have a contribution limit of apparently $2,000 when this started in 1999, now the contribution limit is six grand. You're telling me he somehow, he's put in, he's maxed out his Roth IRA and built What's it up to $5 billion. What's wrong with that? There, there's clearly some tax loophole going on here. Yeah. Like, I get it. There's one side of the coin. You can do whatever you want, you know, invest yeah, you how know, you want. You know, you know what for me? You know what? You know how I would use it? Here's mm. how I would use it. I remember one time, you know, uh, you know guys would go talking about this kid in our school was like, hey, this guy took uh, $10,000 of his dad's money and he turned it to $160,000 buying AOL stocks. I was in 10th grade, right? And I was like, oh my gosh, what a crook. You know, I wish my dad would give me $10,000. He's probably a crook. He's probably this. He's probably that. Everybody trashed this guy, right? Years later, I ran into him three years ago, okay? This guy, I don't know this kid. Like, we're not friends. But I ran into him three years ago. I think he's in merchant service today, like five years ago. I said, are you, are you the guy I think you are? He says, yeah. I said, I said, weren't you the kid that your dad gave you 10 grand and you had like $160,000? He says, how do you remember? That was 20-something years ago. I said, I remember it because I'm like, yeah. I'd love to have $160,000. Here's what's crazy. That story fired me up. Like, shit, I'd love to have $160,000. Versus some people are like, look at this guy. All he cares about is money. Look, this is how I would use this if I was Biden today. If I really cared about people saving their money, I would say, look, Here's how big of an upside a Roth IRA can have for you as well. He didn't do anything different. All he did is the investments he made within the IRA were into stocks. You could do it as well. It was within startups. You can do it as well. It was within IPOs. You can do many of those as well. Just get better and learn about how money works, but definitely start a Roth IRA. I would drive the hell out of it and use it as a way to motivate other people to start a $200 a month Roth IRA. So, Patrick, if you think about it, right, at 9%, money is going, which 9.9% is the average of the S&P for the last 50 years. Mm -hmm. So at that level, money is going to double roughly every seven years. So the doubling or compounding, it's real like it's the eighth wonder of the world. It's really magic when you think about compounding. So 
the question that I would ask people is, would you rather have $100,000 or a penny that doubles every day for a month? And at the end of a month, it's $5.3 million. That's right. Unless there's 31 days of the month, it's $10.7 million. So the key is, it's the last double. The earlier you start, the more you can get. And if money's mm -hmm. gonna double every seven years, how many doubles can you get out of that? I say congratulations, Peter Thiel. More power yeah. to you, buddy. I well, hope that five billion turns into $50 billion. And I hope more people go start their own Roth IRAs as well, if they can. At yeah, the time. let me tell you, this isn't the last we're hearing of this story. The tax man coming, yeah. they're gonna figure out some way. Of course way. they will. They're gonna of figure out some will. way. Listen, five million, congratulations. Yeah. Five billion, you got some explaining to but, do, but, buddy. But, but, no, no, he has Lucy. no explaining to do. No, okay. no, 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 This, you see, that's the mindset of the majority in America. What's a problem, Adam? The government has explaining to do. True not that. him. He has no way. He didn't break any laws. The government created this loophole. He didn't do it. No. He simply went and followed the rules and the guidelines that his accountant gave him, and he's got $5 billion. So the government has a lot of explaining to do, yeah. not Peter Thiel. Unfortunately, the media is bashing him. He didn't do nothing wrong. They're going to find some ways to come at him. So I, as an example. Unfortunately, as if an they example, do, it's a shame if they do that because it's the government's back fault. Back in 1999, and this yeah. is the guy that started one of the, the, the PayPal mafia founders, and he also started, what, Palantir. He was initial yep. uh, investor yep. in Facebook. He's, uh, he's in early on a lot he's of things. He's a monster. Now, here, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know if you guys heard this, Barry and Pat. He got 1.7 million shares of PayPal at 0.001 cents. Okay? 1.7 million shares at less than a tenth of a penny. Good now, fun. if you can do that too, person out there starting a Roth IRA, you can potentially have a billion bucks in Good your Roth him. IRA. Good for no him. one else has that access. Good for, no, it's not about no one else has that access. Why don't you go network amongst the right people, go shake some hands and meet those guys. Now, yeah, go network at the well, founders of PayPal, stop, everybody. Stop, bro, stop. What are you talking about? Yeah, go network with those guys. Forget about him. Okay, he went and hung out with the PayPal mafia, which yeah. all those guys came out being billionaires, right? You know who I'm talking yes. about. There's a bunch Elon of them. Elon Musk, that, one of them. There's a bunch of them. It's like yeah. 40 names that we're talking about. Reed, uh, Reed Hoffman. But, but, but here's here's what you could. I spoke at Texas A&M University, I don't know, seven years ago, six, six years ago, some timeline like that. I remember that, that talk. Yeah, when I went you to Texas a You said you don't do drugs. You get high off life. I get high off life. I don't like drugs. I remember I don't thinking, even I like remember coffee. Being, coffee yeah. freaks me out. I remember I think being high when I was watching that. I was like, <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> this is what I'm doing wrong. Texas a &M. But you know what I told no him? Aggies. Here's what I told him. I said, yeah. forget about meeting a Peter Thiel. Go meet the Peter Thiel of your university. If I'm oh. school, there's a different camps, group of camps that you want to be you want to get close to. Someone to get with the camps that are partying and have mm -hmm. all access to all the best drugs and the women. That's yeah. the camp they want to be a part of. Some go to the camps that are, you know, playing video games. That's a different camp that you go mm -hmm. to. Some go to the camps that are, you know, just uh, smoking weed and just getting high and they're just doing whatever they're doing. Some are the fraternity. Some are the some fraternity. Are the sports guys. Some are the some sports are the guys. Some are the, and, but if there's a group of people that are the idea guys that are saying, how about we go yeah. take over the world if we were to come out with this? Go in that camp yeah. and then see what happens 10 years later. Guess what? More power to Peter Thiel and those guys that got into that camp. Mm -hmm. Elon, by the way, was 50th birthday yesterday. He Elon, turned 50 yesterday. 50. 50 years old yesterday. I think yeah. he's going to do something with his life. I, I think, he's starting uh, a little I late think resume for the first 50 yeah. years, I think he he's owns the best resume. Right. I think he's got he's the best resume. Right. Right. For the first 50 Other than Barry's, uh, by the time he was 50, he had three crystal balls already right there. So, big And time. movies, Broadway, yes. and, and a lot of other things. But, well, but let's, go, let's go into... By the, the way, speaking of Peter Thiel yeah. and this Roth IRA, have you ever read the book, The Power of Zero? Yes. What a book, man. What a great book. What a book. That was actually a book that changed my mindset. Yeah. Which on, part? Which part of it, of, of the book? Tell the, me. The whole book. I mean, it's a, it's a thin little book. It's the size yeah. of this iPad. Yeah. Uh, I think Ricky and I, my good friend Ricky Aguilar and I were talking about the other day... 
But my story with this real quick is I remember being in Vegas. I was doing the, the Nalba tour or whatever. And uh, they had this guest speaker. I could not tell you his name for the life of me, but I don't know, Kai, if you pull up the power of zero, you can. David McKnight. David McKnight. There he is. I think he's from Utah. And he talked about the power of zero. And the zero is this tax-free retirement. And he talked about how taxes are sure to go up and how the government budget is, you know, completely overloaded on Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid. And if you want to have a tax-free retirement, a big staple of that is a Roth IRA and also the, what is it, the LERP, Life Insurance Retirement mm -hmm. Plan. Yep. But basically he broke down how you can have a zero, a zero percent tax retirement. And that changed my life. And I remember being in the back of a room. I don't know why they do conferences in Vegas because I was sure as hell hungover. And I remember like popping my head up being like, what, huh, retirement? And it just changed my life in the power of zero. And that's uh, a great example of what you can do with the Roth IRA. By when the did way, you start investing, by the way? I was relatively young. I was, uh, I was actually about 22 years old when I started mm. investing. Young, start him young. Yeah. And 23 when I started investing in real estate. How, how old? 23 in real estate, 22 in the stock market. What's the first thing you ever bought, real estate? Um, I bought the condo that I lived in for $68,000, wondering how I was ever going to do it. This I was is in Brooklyn or where, where was I bought, this? I bought it in, in, in Jersey. I moved from Jersey. Brooklyn to New Jersey. It was way over my head. I stretched and stretched and stretched. But... Uh, I, I would so when I was a kid, I used to sell stereo equipment out of this trunk of my car, right? So I got a chance to go all over to different areas, and I said, "Wow!" I would ask questions. I was always curious. I said, "Why are values here in New Jersey so much cheaper than they are equidistant from New York in the opposite direction?" So I said, "Maybe I should buy something there." So I bought this little condo there, and two years later, it more than doubled in value. And uh, by the time I was 25, I had invested in like 20 different properties because I thought that that was the way to go. B Barry, that same place you bought at $68,000, what is it worth today? If I were to guess, I'd probably say probably four hundred, five hundred dollars $500,000. $500,000. Wow, $68,000 to $500,000. So long-term play with real estate. If you buy and hold, you're going to be all right. Population's going up, so you know, it's, and, and it's tough to build. We could talk about how tough it is to build right now. Uh, uh, how tough it is to build right, right now, now because you cannot find the guys that are actually doing the work for you. Yeah, but, well, you know, labor is tough. Uh, that's a big. That's a big one that people don't really think about. You know, there's problems with that that we can get into with the with the pandemic unemployment assistance. Nine point three million jobs available. We can't fill them. I mean, really, if you incent people to stay home, they're going to stay home. Now, there's a portion of the population that have to worry about childcare. So of course, but there's a lot of people that. Hey, look, you can't blame them. If I'm going to make more money, if I'm going to make eighteen dollars an hour to stay home, mm -hmm. I'll make less than that to work and work has other expenses and is tough, it's going to be hard. But a lot of soft costs, land's expensive. When you think about it, if you construct and the cost of your construction is, let's just say it's 150 bucks a square foot, you want to build a 2,000 square foot home, you're already at $300,000. Mm -hmm. Land, soft costs, you're at $500,000 and you haven't made any profit. And people are wondering why is there no inventory for the demand of first time home buyers? It's because we can't supply the new inventory. People are not able to uh, to buy a home below a half a million dollars very easily, or find a home below a half a million dollars very easily. Especially unless, in Jersey, yeah, or, New York. But in what? most, in many places of the country, though, it has gotten pretty pricey on new construction. So you have to find an older home, an existing home, but those aren't coming up on the market because somebody has to sell that, mm -hmm. which means they now have to buy a much more expensive home Correct. in a tight inventory environment. Yeah, then the they just came out with the average price of home officially is at $350,000. This is as of, a, I think, this article we talked about last week, Kai, 
three fifty is the average price of home today. So I want to talk about that because it's not the average actually; it's the median price, and there's okay. a big difference there. And the media oftentimes messes this up because what they'll say is that's an increase of almost twenty five percent year over year. So they're saying real estate's it's going to bubble because it's up twenty five percent. That's not the case. Median means that half the sales above it, half the sales below it. No inventory on the lower end. It's down 35% in sales because there's no inventory. Homes over a million are up more than 200%, over 100, over 750,000, 180% increase. In how long? In what time period? In the last year. Okay. So the median home price has been skewed much higher based upon the mix of sales. I got it. Actual appreciation is 13%. Now, we just got new numbers today, which I'm not privy to as of yet, but year over year, it's about 13%. It's still hotter than we'd like, okay? But it's not 25%. So 13% means a $300,000 house last year's 339 right now. It's it's exactly right. Yes. Correct. Yeah. I mean, He's that's, got a calculator built yeah, so, 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 so you got So, okay, so... So if we're looking at that being the price, so is today a good time? The whole thing, let's stay on what you just talked about, which is hard to kind of get the builders. Who's taking the biggest hit right now? Because when I talk to GAs, GCs, and I say, how's business? GC general contract, how's mm-hmm. business? Oh, man, we, we're like, we can't even, we have, you got to keep six up. months, 12 yeah. months. Like, we got, people want our business right now. Who's winning right now? Who's losing right now because of what's going on with real estate? Well, if you look at some of the earnings from builders, they're skyrocketing, right? Lenark just came out with earnings, it's skyrocketing. So they're, they're certainly um, in a very strong position. Even though costs are higher, they've put in the contracts escalation clauses and things like that that can protect them. So people that are buying homes for X amount on the contract wind up paying more by the time they go to closing. So I don't know if, if, if it's a win because you can also say somebody who purchased a home a year ago, they won too, right? So. And I think if you buy a home today, and if you don't do it unwisely, you will continue to be a winner because I see real estate values continuing to go higher. Define unwisely. So people talk about a housing bubble. There is no housing bubble, but you could put yourself in a housing bubble. If there's a home that's valued today, that the real value, if you would get an appraisal or mm-hmm. an automated valuation mm-hmm. model, and it's 400000 the seller is going for the moon. They're going to put it up there for four fifty. And if you get emotional in your transaction yep. and you start competing against a couple of people and you pay five twenty five for a home that's worth four hundred, you put yourself in your own housing bubble. Yep. There's not a housing bubble, but you just bought unwisely. What's the alternative though? There's nothing in the market. You, listen, it's not easy. You have to be patient. Sometimes you may have to move a little bit further from a specific geographic area than that's you want to. That's tough to do if I'm tied to a job I've been there for twelve years. You're hundred percent right. I am not saying it's easy. Yeah. I'm saying that there are certainly many challenges here, but you have to be able to, so we created this tool, by the way, Patrick, we created a tool that will tell you at what point in the future, the home that you are purchasing above what it's purchased. So yeah. that $400,000 valued home that you're purchased, let's say for 460, okay, which is pretty heavy above asking price. When in the future will that home be worth 460? Is it eight months? Is it 24 months? Is it. It 30, or is it eight years? If it's eight years, maybe you Makes should think. Makes no sense. But there's certain yeah. markets you will catch up within a year or two, you might say, Okay, I might be into that. Got it. So I guess the question, like right now we have a question here, Mark uh, Shock, who asks a question on Twitter. He said, my wife and I have down payments saved and ready to buy. We live in the DFW Metroplex, and homes are selling thirty dollars to $100,000 over asking price, at times all cash and no inspection. Should we buy now or wait a year or two? Will the market get better? Better is relative terms. So will it get more expensive? Yeah, it'll get more expensive. So should you bite the bullet? Yeah, you have to just... You have to really, every home is different. There is no blanket result because you cannot duplicate a home. Only one home can Kyle, can you pull space. up his tweet out there so we can see what he's, keep so, going. So what you want to try and do is get the best advice that you can as to at what, if I pay over, how long will it take me to catch up? 
and of the choices that are out there. And there may not be very many choices, but try to make the best decisions possible. Be patient over the next 30, 60, 90 days because you'll be okay there. But two years from now, that value is going to be up significantly. Kai, can you go to go to Zillow.com? Matter of fact, just go to Zillow.com and go to uh, 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 I'd be I'd love to know what Mark's zip code is. Go to DFW. Uh, we could pull it up on our site. We'd have to get in. We'd go to, to DFW. Get... Just put Dallas Fort Worth. Okay, this is a site that everybody has access to. So I'll just kind of take a look at this for ra- for sale for sale. Mm-hmm. And go, uh, where's the range you run at the top? Go close that X, go to price, go to price, and go from uh, 300, no, put 300 min to $500,000. Okay, to $500,000. Yeah, right there. Let's take a look at what comes up. And then uh, uh, get the list. Uh, did the list come Ty, up? You literally put $300. So maybe change it to 300000 I don't know what kind yeah, of house There you is go. Good. Press done. There you go, Kai. Okay. All right, so then go on that 450 right there for you. That says 450. Click on that. So this $450,000 house, beautiful one house. One bedroom, two bath. Is just a gorgeous house. In Roanoke, yeah, think Texas. about that. Now go a little lower. <laughs> what? It's been on the market for 263 days. Okay, click on that. Click on the house you were on and just go lower. Go lower on the right side, right there. Keep going lower, 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 Hold lower. Hold on, grab that MLS number for a second. Uh, Just where's above it? Go one four four four. like a true crystal ball champion. Yeah, one four 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 nine five six five. One. All right, I'm telling. Um, I, I know that I've got people watching this, so I got I, I got my, my boys okay. in my office. Keep get that get that MLS number. It's one four 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 nine five six five. And if you're listening, put that in our our system, and let's see how long it'll take for this home to get up there and what it's worth today. Keep going up. Keep going up. So Zillow, like, keep keep going up. A uh, little bit higher. Keep going. Keep going. Kai. Okay, this was built. Check this out. This was built in 1946. I don't even know what house this is. For 450, it's one bedroom, two bathroom, for 450. That's got to be the land. No, you no, don't understand. This is, is not even in a great area. Like this is this is keep going down. Keep yeah, going don't, down. Don't be talking trash about Texas, buddy. Uh, I you know I got a great affinity for Addison. Yes. Kai, keep going lower. Okay, here we go. So 2020 price price change 895. What? 9.95 listed for sale. Taxes on the property were paid. Tax assessment, look at that. It was paid on 170, 176, 180. So it's gone down over the years, the tax assessment on it. Keep going lower. Keep going lower. I mean, at 450, I'm looking at a house like this. This has got to be like a five-acre property with a mini house on it. Type in Dallas. Just get back. Don't even do DFW. Just go to Dallas. You know, just do Dallas and... Here, pull up that... Well, pull up the one for 499.99 Right there, because that's a single family. Either one of yeah, those. That's four bedroom. Let's okay. take a look Makes at this. Now. So this is twenty-two fifty-six. That's a nice house. Okay, four bedroom, five bath, twenty-two fifty-six. Go a little lower so you can get the MLS Let number get right the MLS there. MLS number one four six zero five five two one. Okay, one four six zero five five two one. Go lower. Go lower. Just go all the way down, Kai. Keep going, and to see the numbers, what it looks like. Lower, Kai. Okay, right there. 491 just went into the market. Uh, no tax history available. You're looking at 499. So this house, assuming this house, uh, uh, does it show what year was built? It looks like a new built. It looks like a new built house. I mean, you got to know, like right now, if you're in the market, you're yeah. middle America, newly yeah. built, 2021, 220, 222 per square feet. Okay, thank God it's got AC by the way, because you're going to need it in Texas and Dallas. You're sitting there at a four at a 499 house. Okay, mm-hmm. middle-income family. How much down payment am I going to need for that? Five, ten percent, or can I do hundred percent financing? You can do 
Uh, Today, 90, today's 95, 97% financing. Okay, let's just say 95% financing. 5% on 500 is 25000 $25,000 down, which may not seem like a lot of money. It's a lot of money for people that are making seventy grand a year. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of people have $25,000 down payment just put That's up there. True. Okay, so you put $25,000 down. Your payment on that's going to be what? What's your payment going to be on that, give or take? Is it fair to say your payment on it's a like $500,000 $2, a month? You're doing it at five times. I see what you're doing. So $2,500 a month, which is not bad, and you got to put $25,000 down. Estimated monthly payment. Twenty-seven dollars For a $500,000 okay. house in Dallas, Texas. Okay. okay. Yeah. So, you know, the, the, the challenge becomes, the challenge becomes, some people now on the flip side of it are saying, well, you should buy. Realtors are saying the complete opposite. Buy today because money is so cheap. Don't worry about the price of the house. Buy it because interest rates are so low. I mean, look what these bigger guys are doing. They're going buying $5 billion dollars of uh, land and properties, and they're paying 25% above market price. Blackstone so, and BlackRock yeah, Black and these If guys. they're doing it, why shouldn't we do it? Because money is so cheap. What do you say to that? I say, yeah, money is cheap now, but it's also money is cheap, which has helped boost prices up. It's like a lever. You know, money money goes down in the cost, yep. so that's going to help push sure. prices up and escalate them. The thing is, is that if you put yourself in a position that's over your over your means, it becomes more problematic for you because you want to make sure you can still make those payments. And if you pay much more for the house than you're able to handle. Uh, what happens if you run into trouble? What happens if the price of that, whatever, turbulence within that area? There are risks involved. I do think overall real estate values definitely go up, and I'd suggest to people to try and purchase that home. But also one of the things you'll see on there is how many square feet the home are. So that home was going for a little less than $200 a square foot. 222. 222, okay, so $222 a square foot. Um, that home at that level, compare it to other homes in your market of similar style and see, Am I paying much more per square foot than what the market is bearing? If you start thinking about homes instead of the price, think about a price per square foot for a comparable. That's a good way to know if you're doing that's the right very thing. helpful. So let me ask you, Barry. So let's just say let's just say top five, right? Okay. For example, if you're looking for a spouse, if you're looking for a spouse, number one, you have to be you have to be physically attracted to them. Whatever. Let's just say number two is you got to be sharing the similar common values and principles. Number three is. You know, family's got to get along because you're marrying the family, not whatever. Number four is whatever you go down the list, right? I know you have experience at okay, this. Yeah. And many people ask me these questions. So if I'm asking you, what are the top five markers for me to look at? Would you put price per square feet of the house number one? Or what would you put at number well, one? Well, you know, you, you have to live there, right? So while the eco- economics definitely are going to play a major role, this like the your, house. Th- this is your home. So mm-hmm. it, does it fit for your lifestyle? Let's figure right that out. Let's so, go through it. Yeah. So, so is this Barry, right? Barry, we're all taking notes here. All right. Top well, good. Five. Well, good. Fit for Dun, da, 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 Barry's is, top five. Is, is this fit for your home? Is this fit for you? Is this something that you're going to be comfortable in? Fit for you and your family. And your family. Absolutely. Put a timeline. What timeline? Five years? Three years? You, you know, this is an interesting one. So the average time someone lives in a home, if it's a first home, if yeah. it's your first home, your average time is three and a half years. Okay. It, it is a home that you is more not your first home. Yeah. It's over nine years, nine to ten years. That is the typical average time Interesting. you spend. So so start a home three and a half years. Yeah. Yeah. Second home almost nine to ten, ten years. Yeah. So okay. listen, when I was doing mortgages, right? I was originating mortgages. It's like relationships. Your first girlfriend's three years. If yeah. you marry somebody it's ten years. So that's, that's pretty good for a first yeah. girlfriend. So um <laughs> so I uh <laughs> I I I used to do mortgages not one at a time. What really changed my career is I started doing two at a time. I would say, okay, we're going to do this mortgage, but then what are we going to be doing that fits it part of the puzzle in the next mortgage? And anybody who's taking out a mortgage, do not think one at a time. Think about intertwining them because timeline is the most important thing. So if you timeline. are, if you're, if you think that this home will be right for your time horizon, then yeah. 
The next thing that I would be thinking about is upside potential. Hmm. So what is this market's forecasted appreciation? Is this market going to make me money? Because now that we've got this, it fits for me, now let's start making money, right? If I'm buying a stock, it's important what I buy the stock for, but what's really important is what am I going to sell it for? Because if I'm going to, okay, say take Peter Thiel, right? Does, does it matter what he, if he paid 0.01 cents or 0.02 cents? Okay, so um, he, what we want to make sure is that what we're doing is giving ourselves the ability to make money in the future, not just to pocket the money, but so that we can keep up and we could stay ahead of the market so when we purchase the next home, we can at least keep what up with What should be a reasonable interest. number for me to be happy with? So if I buy a half a million dollar house, what should my expectation be five, 10 years down the line? So for right now, the expectation that we're seeing is approximately 6% per year. So that means that at 6%, this is where, this is where people need to understand, 6% might not sound very exciting, but it is. Because if you take a home, let's take a $100,000 home. I know you can't get a home for 100, but let's just do the exercise. A $100,000 home, you put 10% down. That means you put $10,000 down. That $100,000 home, if it appreciates 8%, or 6%, sorry, that means the home made $6,000. $6,000 profit on a $10,000 investment is a 60% rate of return. Sure. And if you were to take that home and you were to say, okay, at 6% at appreciation, if it is not my first home, if I'm going to be there for 12 years or something like that, the home value is doubled. So that home, if it's 500000 12 years from now, it should be worth a million at 6%. So and, and what you said at 6% is in five years, the the value of the house should be 676 give or take. There you go. Okay, That's sounds cool. good. So upside, I should be looking at making 6% average per year over the next five to 10 years. It depends on the marketplace, but that is a good overall level over time. That's if national? I did 6%, I won. If I did 3%, and that's going to depend. You know, sometimes condos will lag. If you're looking at a condo, condos will definitely be something that will typically why lag is in that? appreciation. Is there a reason why they lag? Well, they don't appeal to everyone. It's not as broad of an audience. It's a little bit Got more it. segmented audience, and there's more restrictions. And the, the, you're not going to get a, typically you're not going to get as good appreciation as you would if it was a detached single family home. Okay, so number one, fit okay. for your family. Timeline three to five years. Number two is time horizon, which we kind of talked about. And number three is upside potential. potential. And number what's four? four? Number four is going to be making sure you buy it right. Okay, so how does it compare? I'm, I, want to, I want you to compare it cost per square foot as opposed to looking at price. Do cost per square foot for a similar home and see if you're in the ballpark. And then, is, by is the there way, a template for that? Like it should be around 200 bucks a square foot. No, it varies you, 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 It has okay. to be very. Yeah. It's location, vary, but, location, yeah. correct. Location. Now, by the way, those are all the tools that we create for mortgage professionals to help them do this in a second on their phone. But the thing that, that I think is very important for individuals who are looking if they're going to make this purchase and they're going to find something that is at least comparable and they have to pay over, then you look back at one step and you say, okay, what's my upside potential? Does it pay for me to pay over asking price if in five years it's mm -hmm. going to be worth this and I'm paying that? I still get to make a lot of money. So if you're going to make, in the, in the example you said, so it goes to 700000 from, let's say, 500000 In five so, years. So five years, I make $200,000. If I pay twenty thousand dollars over asking price, that seems like a good gig. Okay, that, that's that's a reasonable. But it's investment. knowing that you're going to get that six percent over the next five year period, and nobody knows that number. Nobody knows what's going to be. Nobody knows, but you can make educated guesses, and a lot of them are based on demographics. Look, when we accurately call a lot of them are based on demographics. Yes. So when we accurately called the bottom of the housing market, yeah. and we also called. We, so this was really interesting because when I was when I was on TV talking about there's going to be problems in the housing market, I used to get like a lot of hate mail. What do you mean? You know, I said, don't take mortgages with negative amortization. Don't take interest only. Yep. People say, oh, those products. 
and we didn't like the housing market. I actually sold my company because we did not like the way the housing market was. And one of the main reasons was you looked at demographics. So let's just take the demographics today. The median age of a first-time home buyer is 33 years old, hmm. which means they were born in 1987 or 1988. If you look at the birth rates from 33 years ago, what you'll discover is that 32, 31, 30, 29 years ago, the birth rates, for whatever reason, skyrocketed. That tells us that in the next four years, there's going to be an enormous influx of first-time home buyers, mm -hmm. and that is going to similar to what happened to boomers. That's exactly right. Well, it's because the, these 33-year-olds are millennials; sure, they're the sure, kids right. of the boomers. In the seventies and eighties, really. Now, now hang on. Now, of, now, when in yeah. 2006, when we said we don't like the housing market, and remember, it was still pretty good in 2006, so we we're a little bit early, right? But we looked at the demographics, and we saw that in 1973, there was a plunge in birth rates. So we knew the amount of first-time homebuyers coming to the market was going to be significantly mm. depleted. There was a reason for that, because in January of 1973, abortions were legalized. Birth rates plummet, and 33 years later, you don't have people to buy homes. At the same time, builders built the most homes they ever put up, nearly 2 million homes that they built. So you had oversupply. Not enough demand. Prices were crashing. Too much liquidity in the market. People were looking for where to put it. So what did they do? They had to crank up the volume. So they took buyers who really shouldn't have bought a home. Fog up a mirror. You can have a mortgage. And just no income, to, no assets. Oh, six. No, no income, yep. no asset, Nino. no job. No, right, exactly. 580 FICO scores That's zero right. down. What could go wrong? I mean, really. Yeah. So yep. what they did was they cranked up the volume, issued a lot of mortgages. And it wasn't the mortgage lenders. It was... Wall Street putting out this money saying, hey, you got to fill these commitments. So they just allowed the regulations or the compliance for those to be very loose. And what you had was you had a big housing bubble that occurred. That's interesting. Abortion laws affected real estate 30 years later, 32 years later, 33 years later, what, uh, 2006. If you're in any kind of business and you're not looking at demographics, you really need to do that. Very Okay, so let's go through it again. So no, I asked the question, what should a buyer look at before buying a house? Barry, who's a three times, uh, uh, three time uh, crystal, ball. crystal ball award with Zillow, which is who makes the most accurate prediction of what's going to happen with uh, 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 value. Value. So you got fit your uh, family goals. What mm -hmm. is it? If you're buying this house, does it fit your goals that you want with your family? Time nice horizon style. number two, upside potentials number three, which is a math formula you can use. Six percent is victory over a five to ten year and, period. And we have that for every single zip code. Okay. We could tell you. And then four is buy it based on. Square feet, if you're going to use any kind of comps around homes around your area, go based on square feet. What's number five? What's your last one? I, I think the last one has to be that it has to fit within your budget. So, Ooh. And listen, I'm not saying that this – just because it's listed as number five yeah. doesn't mean for an individual it's not as important. But it has to be within your budget because do you want to have a home that's got great upside, this and that, but you can never go out to dinner again? You know, do you, you what does your and a lot of people like? do that? You know yes. that a lot of people, yes. their entire everything is about the house they got, but they have no lifestyle no life. outside of that. No, yeah. exactly. So, look, you get you get to play this game once, you get to live once. You want to balance it. Is there you, a formula? Th there's formulas for what you qualify for, but those formulas affect every single family differently because of their spending. And habits. what I mean by that is, you know, it's like, hey, save ten percent of your money. You know, hey, you know, give ten well, that, percent. That, save that's 10%. good. That's the richest so man in is, Babylon is, book, right? Yeah, is, is there a formula mm -hmm. of your monthly income, you make 5000 after taxes, 30% yeah, of your there income. There is a ballpark around 30%, just okay. to keep it simple, okay? Around 30%, but that'll qualify you. However, you also have to qualify for about, about 40%, including all of your debts. 
So one thing that people don't realize- The that debt, the, don't the, forget about the, the debt. The, the debt is the really way, important. That means 30% is the following. If you're making, and by the way, are you saying net income or are you saying- Gross growth? income. So gross tax, income. taxes have to come out too of that, but it's 40% of your gross income handles so, your mortgage. So check this I'm out. I'm giving you round numbers here, I get okay? that, but if you're saying, if I'm, if I'm netting eight grand a month, Okay, if I'm netting eight grand a month, thirty percent of that. So, so now you've is got twenty four hundred. But then the, the bigger number, which really affects most people, is forty percent of that, or thirty two hundred dollars, has to do the mortgage, the taxes, the insurance. If there's mortgage insurance, maintenance, because you put less than twenty percent down. Maintenance if you're buying a condo, and in addition to that, all of your debt, your car payments, your minimums thought. on your you know credit what this cards. Means. So this means uh, alimony, child support, that. Student loans. That $500,000 house we just looked at, mm-hmm. the only person that should buy it is somebody that's netting $8,000 a month. Somebody no who's, who's, who's- Pretty much. Pretty much. Maybe, maybe, maybe more. But, but it doesn't have to By be the one way, person. Net, it could be two incomes, too. No, of course. But what's net? Net is 12 a month. So you're making eleven or something like yeah, that. Yeah, you're making yeah. one fifty. So that means a $500,000 house is lived by somebody that's making a household income of one fifty per year pre-taxes. Yeah. But, but Patrick, this is where your personal situation- Think about but, that's, but that's why the median house is yeah. 300, But if somebody's if somebody likes to eat home every night and they're not going to do that- they may have more discretionary income. Maybe they're going to go some, three thousand. Right, somebody yeah. who likes you know clothes shopping sure. and vacations more. That you have to. That's why I said it, your means and your lifestyle as the last. How one. much would you add? I know you gave the five points here, which was very helpful. The audience is uh, 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 taking a lot of notes with this, and they're sending messages here. Number five uh, for me: Where would you put value for uh, your the house was built? You know, meaning is it a two thousand and five build? It's, so two thousand and five at two twenty two square feet. Uh, dollars per square feet versus 2017, 260. How much value do you put on what year the house was, the home was built? So you can almost estimate that homes are going to be around for like 60 or 70 years, right? And the average home in the United States today is close to 40 years old. I mean, think about that. It's 41 to be exact. Average house average, is 40 average years age old. is 40 years old, 41. So it's, it's the, so a 10 year difference probably doesn't mean too much, Patrick, in your example, so long as it's in good condition. That's why if you're gonna buy a home without an, expe- an, an, an inspection, you can be putting yourself at some risk. Okay, I, I, I think that Interesting. So it's 10 challenging. years is nothing to them. Yeah. So 10 years, so if, if I have a house, one is built in 2016, one is built in 2006, you're looking at the house. The 2006 is 250 a square foot. The 2016 is 280 a square foot. How do you judge that? It's close enough. It's close enough. You don't uh, care, so indiv- you would go six or indiv- 16. It's 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 just what we said. Do I like the home? That's number one. Got it. But then after that, how does it compare to similar homes like that on square footage? Basis? Well, I got another question that just came up here, folks. If you got questions here, post it on Twitter because we're actually going through them. Kai, if you want to go on Twitter and pull up all the hashtag PBD podcast, hashtag PBD podcast, you can put my handle in there. It's easier to find and, at Patrick Bay David. The question is: So uh, this is from Chili Childress. What a great name, Chili Childress. So I'm on the verge of putting my house, two-bedroom, one-bath, ranch, that was down to studs remodel one year ago on the market. I bought it last July here in southeastern Mass for $275, and it's now an estimated $321. So he went from $275, $800, to $321. Should I sell now or hold a little longer? Okay, so a couple of things. So first of all, because uh, I happen to see it, people are asking about debt can- income ratios. Yeah. I said 40%. Remember, I said round number. Could you exceed that? Certainly, it could go up a little bit. There's going to be compensating. I'm just giving you round numbers so people could do quick math. By, by the way, I like the fact that you're giving conservative numbers. Yes. Because a lot yes. of people are saying go higher. I would much rather go where you're going yes. than go the higher number. Yes. Now, with this particular case, here's what you have to think of. So it appears that you made a profit. And if you're married, the first $500,000 of profit is free. If you're single, the first $250,000 of profit is free from tax. 
What is that? A homestead right there? No, that's just a federal income okay, tax. So there's there no there's no first home by homeowner or any, anybody okay. anybody anybody. So what what we have to think of here is okay, how much money did you put into it? How much money did you pay for closing costs getting in? How much are you going to spend if you list it with a real estate agent or whatever to get out? And then where are you going to go? So before you ask, should I sell? I think you should ask yourself, should I be buying? What do I want to buy? I think you need to go right back to that list. Does this home no longer fit my needs? And if it doesn't, then I have to buy something. Can I find something first? And then you can put your house and make that decision. Folks, Barry Habib, if you're enjoying today's podcast, smash the thumbs up button as well as subscribe to the channel. If you want to hear more Barry Habib, maybe even bringing him back to talk more and to uh, talk about real estate, uh, press that thumbs up button. Again, if you got questions, hashtag PBD Podcast on Twitter. Uh, great stuff we're learning so far. Five things when you're looking into buying a house. Number one, does it fit your family goals? Number two is time horizon. Number three is the potential upside potential of the house. Number four is uh, uh, look at the cost per square feet. And number five is your budget. Typically, 30 to 40% of your gross monthly income. You can get a little bit more aggressive than that, but 30% is the number typically to look at. So, Patrick, mm -hmm. if we can, I want to talk a little bit about something that has to do with creating some wealth for you with real estate. Sure. And I know we focused a little bit about buying a home, but the home ownership rate in the United States is 66%. So perhaps 66% of people that are listening is are- Is that average? Is that higher? Is that lower? What's the number? The highest that it ever was was in 2005 when it was at 69.4%. So let's, let's say roughly 70% 7, home ownership okay. rate was the highest. That's when it, they were handing out houses like for nothing. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So it's 66%. It's healthy. Certain markets, like in California, it's typically 55%. That's how they've dealt with the, the costs going up, is it's shaved a little bit of the home ownership rate. However, that 55% still overwhelms oh, the available supply. California is 55%. But that, but, but that 55% is more than the supply, and that's why prices keep going up. So what I want to talk about is that people that are listening that own a home, you really need to look at your mortgage situation right now because there's things that you could do that could set your kids up for college, that could set you up for retirement, and that can create enormous wealth and give you the life that you really deserve and use your mortgage people look at a mortgage and it's crazy they look at it like they're buying a flat screen tv and all they care about is the rate that's not what the important thing is the important thing is the strategy so for example what we see a lot of and we advise a lot of mortgage professionals to do this and we get hundreds and thousands of stories of people that have changed individuals life so let's just say if you have a mortgage right now and you're saying i shouldn't refinance because my rate is i don't know let's say you got in at two and a half percent and you see rates today a little over three. And let's even go crazy. Say they go up a little bit to three and a quarter, three and a half. People are not thinking about refinancing. But what you're forgetting is, like any good coach in football would say, you know, take what the defense gives you. So what we've been given here is this appreciation. So two things have happened to your home. It's appreciated, and you've been making your mortgage payments, so you've amortized the loan. You've gained equity. In just the past year, anybody who's paying mortgage insurance, you probably can refinance and save that. But the magic really happens with your debt. Because if you were to say, what we see oftentimes is let's just take a typical family, 20000 in credit card debt, one car loan. They've got a Chevy. It's $29,000 car loan. They've got a little bit at Best Buy. They've got a little bit at Nordstrom's or wherever it is. A few things, nothing crazy. You take that family. You say, okay, let's take your debt, pay it all off, include it in the mortgage, even if the rate's 1% higher, right? So going from 25 to 35 let's just say. You could save about $1,800 a month in cash flow, but here's the real key. Don't take that $1,800 of found money and go blow it. Take that $1,800 and pour it back into the mortgage. So if you bought your home three years ago, now you got 27 years left yep. normally, yep. you change it to 11 years left on your mortgage. No payments. 
In five years, you gain $110,000. In 10 years, you gain $270,000. In 11 years, when the thing's paid off, $320,000 benefit. That'll pay for your kid's college, and you saved 15 years of making your mortgage payment at 4000 bucks a month. That's the best retirement plan you could have. There you go. Barry Habib. Okay, on how to do Kai's back there taking notes. Did you yeah. get that, Kai? Did you learn? Yes? Okay, good. Now, let me, let me read you something else going on here. This is a Realtor.com story. Hmm. The okay. housing markets show signs of softening. Has it topped out, right? Over the past few weeks, the rate of price growth has begun to slow. Fewer buyers are seeking mortgages to purchase homes. The competition for available homes, while it's still formidable, may not be quite as intense as it's been, and this could provide buyers a sorely needed opening. The market's topping out, says Mark Zandi, chief economist at Moody's Analytics, it's starting to show cracks. It feels like we've hit the apex and we're moving to the other side of it. That does not mean there's a bubble on the verge of popping and the prices are about to plummet in a free, fo- uh, free fall reminiscent of the last housing bust that we had, according to economists and housing experts. Some of April's rise was due to the comparison to a year earlier. April 2020 was the beginning of COVID-19 and was local restrictions. General fear over the virus hampered real estate markets, but that's not what the whole story is. January of this year, when prices were up 15.4% compared to January of 2020, which was well before the pandemic. So then the next story, I'll put, put them, both them together and you tell me your thoughts on this, is another housing bubble building. This is a street story. Same exact thing. They quoted Mark Zandi as well, but it says the price has dominated financial news recently. For renters, the price of an average apartment takes up an even greater, ever greater share of personal income every year. This is particularly true in big cities where a one-bedroom apartment can often cost between $2,500 to $3,000 a month. But the real headlines have been in the market for single-family housing. In many communities, home prices have increased by 30 to 50% in just the past two years. This has led the median prices home over $208,000 nationwide to nearly $500,000 in the towns and suburbs near major cities, which is kind of what you were talking about. So there's so much misconception. There's a lot of bad tell, information. Tell us what it is. Okay, so there's a lot. So first of all, I know Mark. Mark's a friend. Okay. Interestingly enough, at John Burns' conference three years ago, we debated this. I said the housing market was going up three years ago. He was not big in favor of the housing market going up the way I was. Ooh, but uh, burn right but, there. But so, so I understand where Mark's coming from. But you're what you're so seeing funny. there, what you're seeing there is what you're seeing is number one. Again, the use of median home price. This is a misconception. Median home price is not appreciation. Now, somebody said 15.4 percent appreciation. I have no idea where they pulled that out of because that's just wrong. There's no way it's 15.4 percent. The latest data that we have, and I said I said we're going to get new data today from from Case Shiller, which is the gold standard. This is the way you're really supposed to measure it. But the most recent was 13%. Again, which is what you said earlier. Okay, that's that's yeah. really, really hot levels of appreciation. Okay. But the, the, in order for there to, first of all, when they talk, here's the main concept we have to understand. When you look at the housing market, there's the housing market that's the driver of GDP that generates economic activity. And then there's the housing market. I'm buying a home for myself, and I want to know, am I going to make money? Am I going to lose money? Am I going to create wealth? Two different ways to look at it. And what the consumer gets confused on is the media looks at the housing market as the driver of GDP, and sales are slowing. Sales are not slowing because the market's bad. Sales are slowing because there's nothing for sale. There's nothing to buy. So if I had, when, when you know the new AirPods came out, the AirPod Pros, and you wanted them, but you go to Apple and they didn't have them in stock. It doesn't mean sales are slowing. There's so much demand that they don't have enough of it. So sales are slowing because you don't have enough supply. Same thing in the housing market. The other thing people get confused upon, any person who looks at stocks 
we know that it's a stock market, but really it's a market of stocks. You can go to healthcare, you can go to technology, you can go to uh, whatever. You have uh, many different sectors, biotech, right? So right. a dozen major sectors. Exactly. In the housing market, you have to divide it into sectors. There's your first time home buyer sector. There's your you know, move up buyer sector. There's your more affluent areas. There's the premium priced homes. So look at all of those as sectors. Interesting point yes. of view. Okay. So if you if you do it, then the picture gets clearer. Because then you could say, okay, well, sales are slowing, but where are they slowing? They're certainly not slowing on the upper end. They're picking up. They're doubling. They're slowing on the lower end. Now, the majority of homes do take place on the lower end. Okay, We know that. But there's just not a lot of inventory. Because remember, in any market, if you're going to say there's a bubble, what's the definition of it? The definition of a bubble is that there is too much supply, not enough demand, and therefore prices will come down. We have the exact opposite, and the demand's going to get stronger. Barry, I remember when guys were speaking the way you were speaking, okay? Everybody was saying, oh my God, there was two communities back in 2006. It was the Angelo, what was his name Mazzello. from Countrywide? Angelo, oh my gosh, he looked like, you, he looked like a, he one of these mafia bosses, right? Very good tan. looking guy, very tan. very tan like you, good looking guy like you. And he would get up and say, hey, you know, it's going to continue. It's going to do this. It's going to do that countrywide. Right? And people, oh, my gosh. He's right. And, you know, there was uh, 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 new, uh, Century. What was it? Uh, uh, there was a bunch of these companies out there that were doing a lot of loans. New Century, I believe. New Century new loans, Century. right? And I they was were one killing of, it. Yeah. I, w I used to speak on tour for New well, Century. Well, you remember the correspondence they were paying on Absolutely. the back end, which Absolutely. was ridiculous. Yep. Guys yep. making 400 grand a month. It's like, oh, my gosh. Yep. This is going to continue like this. And they were convincing. <laughs> they were so convincing. Then there was... The Michael Burries of the world, like, listen, guys, this shit's not going to last like this for a long time. So I think the biggest thing and for me is— And you know the camp is, I was in. I was in 2006. I was getting hate mail for saying the market was frothy. Well, here's my question for you. Here's my question for you. Who the hell should the audience believe in? Everybody's an expert. Here we go. Okay, hold Everybody's on. Here, an expert. So, Who should we believe? So here we go. Go for it. Number one, when you take a look at the comparison to 2007, yep. let's do it. Okay? So first of all, there were 3.7 million homes for sale in 2007. Today, there's 1.05 million homes for sale. So the supply. That's a big the numbers again. So there were two million. 3.7 million homes for sale in 2007. Today, 1.05 million, and the latest data supply. will show that that number supply actually has been cut in the, the, third. By, two by thirds, three yeah. million less homes. But wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Here's more important. It's a big difference. In 2007, yeah. everyone in the United States lived under 116 million roofs. There was 116 million households. The latest data is from 2020. There were 128 million households. Twelve more. Twelve million more households. 3 million fewer homes, and you wonder why prices are going up. How can that market go down? Now, somebody might say, okay, forbearance, foreclosure, this and that. We should talk about that because another big misconception. The media gets it completely wrong on this. So first of all, most of them don't know how to spell forbearance. Forget about understanding it. And by the way, it's kind of hard to spell. So when you take a look at forbearance, what does that mean? Think of it as a pause button on your player. You pause the payments. Now, when they came out with the CARES Act, what they did was they rushed to bring this out there, and they made the forbearance so that you didn't have to prove hardship. So a lot of people say, well, wait a minute. I don't have to make my payment. There's no penalty. There's no interest for 12 months. How does forbearance work when it's all over? At the end of the forbearance period, you don't have to make a payment. Here's all my back payments. It kind of rides along your first mortgage as a second mortgage with no interest, no payments, and you're able to pay that off and satisfy it when you either refinance pay off your home or sell your home. So that's when you put, so those are going to be very staggered. It's not going to cause any turbulence in the market. And if those properties came on, if there were a problem with them, it's like dropping a water can on the desert. You know, we need the inventory. But now think about the resumption of payments. So a big portion of people who took forbearance, they didn't need it. 
So many people who took forbearance got their got their jobs back if they did need mm-hmm. it. So they should have no problem because they qualify. Sure. There will be a segment of the population that they're, they're through forbearance, heaven forbid, we feel awful for these poor folks, but they now can't make their payment. What the vast, 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 vast majority will be able to do, put their home on the market, probably sell it in a week, pocket a ton of cash from it. So they're not going to let those homes go into the marketplace under foreclosure or under duress. This is not 2000. Listen to this. In 2009, 26% of homes owned more on their mortgage than the value of the home. Today, there is less than 2% where the value of the mortgage is higher than the value of the home. This is what they call underwater, yeah? When underwater. 26% exactly in 2009? Correct, exactly. And now it's only 2%? Less than 2%. So it's not even comparable to 2008. And here's the other thing, too. Let's talk, let's talk about loans 90 days delinquent. Loans 90 days delinquent, people look at that. And I saw there was an article that you mm-hmm. had. So they say, okay, loans 90 days delinquent, 2% of loans are 90 days delinquent. In a normal market, it's 1.5%. So we're people forget. They just show the headline, and they don't show what the variance is. Mm. We just went through a pandemic. So yes, that has gone up a little bit. Loans actually in foreclosure, it is a quarter of 1%. So that's one out of 400 homes. You add to that the homes that are owned free and clear, which is 34%. Now you're talking, if you took a helicopter, you looked over 500, 600 homes, only one of those homes is in foreclosure. That's one too many. But yeah, the number like says have- an estimated 10 million Americans are behind in their mortgage payments and 1.7 million are pa- 90 days past due. That's 2%. Four of- times as many as the, uh, before the pandemic. That's incorrect information. That is not four times as many. That's from Sun, Sun uh, Sentinel. And, and the Sun Sentinel is wrong because if you do the math on yeah. it, as you probably did in your head, that's 2%, right? Roughly. 10 million on what? 10 no, not mi- 10 million. Go to the 90 days plus. 1.7 million. Okay, so that's, there's 80, 86 million homes. So yeah. r- roughly 2%, okay. right? So then you got 2% of homes used to be 1.5%. The variance is it's, that's not four times as much. They may be talking about the 10 million are past due, but if they're counting people that went into forbearance, yeah, okay. But they had a free pass. They had a whole pass not to make their well, payments. The biggest difference is when you're saying 3.7 million to 1 million. One that, million. That's just ridiculous. I and mean, so if you look at the markers to see what happened in 06 versus today, mm-hmm. I remember all the homes that builders were building like crazy. Riverside County had a 64% foreclosure rate at, at one point. You'd go, the, literally, you're walking the streets. Six out of 10 homes, it's trash. No one's living there. Somebody just walked away because, from it. Because Patrick, this what is in California? Doing, this is in yeah. 0708. It yeah. was Sounds ugly. Like Detroit, right? Rivers, Be- no, it was Riverside was doing, ugly. People were gaming the housing market to try and make profit because it was going up and people were flipping homes. So one person was buying five homes. They didn't qualify for any of the five. They could fog up five mirrors, yeah. but they got mortgages on mm. five homes. Yeah. Today, that one person's buying a home for the home they need to live in. That's like so, in the movie The Big Short. Michael Burry was like talking to the girl yeah. and Steve Carell. And well, it was a stripper that had five uh, yeah. houses. That, that was the part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Matter of fact, that stripper was in Rock of yes. Ages, just so yes. you know that. Good Got girl, it. by the way. <laughs> yeah. Great girl. So go back. Good to investor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Question, Kai. Pull up Twitter. Pull up Twitter. Pull up Twitter. Katarina Kavar. Okay. Katarina Kavar asks a question saying longer loan and smaller payments or shorter loans, higher payments. Katarina, you got to go with what fits your lifestyle the best. And if you have a, if you have a way to take the difference. So let's just say longer term and smaller payments, right? So let's just use some numbers. Let's say it's a it's a $1,000 payment versus a $1,500 payment. My question to you, Katarina, is what are you going to do? If you could afford the $1,500 payment, so now you have both options. So what are you going to do with the 500 bucks, and where are you going to invest it? Because if you do invest it into your mortgage into a shorter term, that's going to give you, you know, a quicker payoff, 
It's going to put you in a position where you're going to be building equity over time. You don't have to wait till the loan's paid off. You're building much more equity. It's got an amazing effect. People don't realize it. So what happens is, is that when you make additional payments on your mortgage, you get the benefit because then every single subsequent payment is based on the lower remaining principal balance. Mm -hmm. So a greater portion of every single payment after that, more goes towards principal. So it builds on itself. Look, if you have another For investment- For 80% of America, that's good. It's really good. Yeah. It is really good. Of course. But if you have a business opportunity, if you could put that $500 a month in something that's going to generate, you know, 8, 9, 10%. For less than 5%, it's not good. Because where are you going to yeah. put it safely? In the sure. bank. You know, the, the, so the definition of the risk-free rate good of answer, return by the is way. about 1%. It's very good answer because you're giving the, the audience perspective to know that it may make sense for some and it may not make sense for uh, others. But let me, let me go to a different route here. You know, there's two names that keep coming up. Okay, and these two names we've talked to Daniel DeMartino Booth, which you guys have a friends. You guys have she Love had a Danielle. lot of good things to say about you. By the way, she had very good things to say about you. When you and I were meeting, she said, "Patrick, I know you and Barry are considering doing something. You're considering doing something with Barry. You know, just want to let you know, I vouch for him. He's a good guy. So Daniel had a lot of good things to say about you. And we, you know, how we feel about Daniel. Daniel to us is a homie. She's a family, and uh, she's been with us now for a while, creating content down the middle with Daniel. She's crushing it. Um, question for you: When it comes down to two names, we got Powell which is obviously the Fed. Chairman of the Fed. Uh, uh, and then we have Yellen, okay, which she sometimes forgets, and she thinks she still has Powell's job, right? She still thinks that's her job, right? Which of those two is creating the biggest havoc, and which of those two has the most influence on what direction rates could go to and what direction real estate could go to the next 12, 24, 36 months? Okay, so we should also mention Janet Yellen used to be the Fed chair. I didn't yes, think she was a very good, course. I didn't think she was yes. a good Fed chair, but she used to be the Fed chair. And what Janet Yellen's job now as Treasury Secretary, besides signing the money that comes out, we, you know, the Treasury Secretary signs, signs the cash that you get, is Janet Yellen sells the president's agenda. So What's her job to do is not what's good for you, what's good for me, what's good for people listening. It is to sell the president's agenda. Let's understand that, right? So she's a salesperson right now. She had different responsibilities as a Fed chair. But it is crazy and maddening to hear this woman talk about the wealth gap that's out there and wealth inequality when her and Ben Bernanke created it. Because what they decided to do was now, who knows what the motivation was? It might have been pure motivation. But what they decided to do was they took rates to these unbelievably low levels, begin quantitative easing, and by taking rates to where you were punished for savings, they gave us, as we all know, TINA, T-I-N-A, which stands for there is no alternative. And Bernanke used to call this the wealth effect. And what he said was if we stop people from saving and force them to all put their money collectively, it's the same thing that the Reddit boards are doing, okay? It's just on a grander scale. It's no different than the Reddit meme stocks except they did it Wall with the Street over. Bets. Wall Street bets. Yeah. It's the exact same thing, except now they've got the whole country doing it because I'm going to punish you for saving. I'm going to let you earn less than 1% in your savings. And the only place you could put your money is in the stock market. And by doing so, everybody did that. The stock market has been on what kind of a ride since then. Mm -hmm. We all know, okay? So when you see that occur... By, by the way, I, folks, I want you to hear... Can you say that one more time? Say the last 30 seconds one more time what they've done. This is very important. They punished you to save your money, to put into market. market. Say that one more time. So by taking the, the benefit of saving money, people used to say, I could plan for my retirement because I could put my money in the bank yeah. safely, get 4%, 5%, 6%. Money market, CD, saving account. You have many options. It's safe. I can plan for my retirement. Now, I can never retire like that. Okay, I can't do that. 
And what would happen to those people is that they were forced, people that shouldn't be taking risks. Grandma was now taking risks and putting them in the stock market. Fortunately, because everybody did it, it created growth in the stock market as we have seen for the mm -hmm. last 12 years, yep. right? However, here's the big point, is that not everybody's in the stock market. So this is what created the haves and the have-nots to a much more exacerbated mm -hmm. way, because now people, 50% of families were able to go in the stock market, 50% of families benefited. Those 50% that were left behind were left way behind. And it is sickening to hear her talk about it as if she had nothing to do with it, because her and Ben Bernanke created this. Mm -hmm. It's the Wall Street versus Main Street approach right there. Wall Street versus Main Street yeah. approach, exactly right. So, so you're not a fan of Yellen or what she's I, done, I think the she, policy I, she's I, implemented. I don't, I don't think that she, you know, well, currently, again, she's a salesperson. So, you know, you always have to be a little leery of salespeople because they all have their agenda, right? Mm -hmm. um, what well, would you say to somebody who says, well, Barry's a salesperson. He's got an agenda. He's in real estate. I, well, every individual has their own agenda, right? Mm -hmm. where, you, where, you, where you stand depends on where you sit, right? So you, you, have, you have your point of view and everybody's trying to do that. Uh, I'm, I'm offering an opinion, which is just that. It's an opinion. That's the way it should be taken, right? It's not, uh, there's some things that are factual. Some of the data we spoke about is factual. Mm -hmm. But in this case, it's an opinion. Uh, I don't think she did a very good job as as the Fed chair as well. Um, I think that she had chances where she could have raised rates and did not do so. I think that I think that the Fed gets frightened because who wants to be named as the Fed chair who let the economy tank? And that's the problem Jay Powell, who you mentioned, has right mm -hmm. now. Because what he tried in 2013 to taper, the market went into a tantrum and he backed off. Now that was taking the Fed's balance sheet from 4.3 trillion. To 3.8 trillion, and they say can't do it. Now the Fed's balance sheet is eight trillion dollars. That's a that's a scary thought when you think about that. So yeah. let's let, let's do eight this. Eight trillion dollar let, balance. Let's sheet. do this. This is fun because everybody is listening. They're hearing trillion, trillion, trillion. So listen, if I said to you, hey, let's do a business deal, cash deal, and I said, Patrick, I'm going to pay you cash, a hundred thousand dollars cash. I bring a brief, big suitcase in. I open up the suitcase, and it's hundred dollar bills. It's very anticlimactic. It's a four inch stack of dollar bills, right? A million dollars is a 40-inch stack of $100 bills. If you could stack $100 bills this high, it's a million bucks. A billion takes you to the Empire State Building twice. Eight trillion, if I stacked them up, one on top of each other, and then tilted it on its side, it'd go from here to California and back, 5,400 miles. That's what $8 trillion is in $100 bills. It is an enormous sum of money, and we get blind to it because we constantly hear it and we become immune. Yeah. So, so then the question becomes: then the question becomes when you, we're talking about interest rates, how likely and how soon do you predict the rates could go up to six percent? Can it happen? If yes, how soon can that happen? Okay. So, so let's understand. Um, there's a few things occurring right now. So, I'm going to answer that question, but let's give some background. So, I do think there might be some policy change coming in August. So it's, it, we think, I think that when we get the Jackson Hole meeting by the Fed, that has in the past been where they change policy. Now we heard from the St. Louis Fed President Bullard. We also just heard from um, another Fed President who was talk, oh, uh, we, were talk, we were talking about the fact that the housing market might be overheating. And when we, oh, this, this was the Boston Fed President. Um, I'll get it in a minute. The Boston Fed president talked about the housing market overheating. So what they're saying is that the Fed should stop buying mortgage-backed securities. Eric Fogelman, 
Eric Rosengren is who it was, yes. So the two of them now have been talking about the, the market overheating. So I think come the 26th, 27th, 28th of August at that meeting, they may say that the Fed's going to begin to taper their purchases of mortgage-backed securities. How much are they buying? Well, they lie. They said they were buying $40 billion. We started calling them out on it. So what did they do? They removed the data from the NewYorkFed.org, so you couldn't find it that easily. Um, r- recently, they purchased about $80 billion in a month. So now they changed their language to $40 billion to, uh, to at least $40 billion a month. But it's closer to $100 billion a month that they're buying. So they're buying the market. It's called yield curve control. We haven't really done it since the 1940s, but they've pegged yields, and they said we want to keep it here. Think about how crazy it is. Inflation erodes the buying power. The inflation rate right now, let's call it 3.5% as the core rate stripping out food and energy. The 10-year Treasury yields 1.5%. So I'm getting 1.5, but my money's eroding at 3.5%. That should never happen. You how, should, sustain, how long can that be sustainable? It shouldn't be sustainable, but when the Fed is buying so much in Treasuries to keep and suppress that yield down artificially, if inflation's 3.5, you got to make a spread on that. It's got to be 4.5. That's where the 10-year Treasury should be with 3.5% inflation. Now, I think inflation will abate. I think inflation will come. To, I know the Fed loves the transitory. There are certain things that will stick. But look, Patrick, if you take a look at some of the reasons why the, the numbers in CPI went up and the numbers in the PC, personal consumption expenditures, a different inflation report that the Fed loves, the reason why they went up is the reopening. Because what really went up is uh, sporting event sales went up 10%. Hotels went up 9%. Airlines went up 10%. And then you have the chip shortage issue. So it made uh, vehicles go up 5% and compute. I'm sorry, 10% of ve- and computers go up 5%. Because of that, it made a big jump in CPI, but those sectors combined only represent 7% of the economy. The other 93% only went up three-tenths of a percent. So we have some inflation. It's not as high as being stated. It will calm down. But rates will never go to 6%. Never go to 6%. No, at least not while I'm around, I don't think, because what has to cause that is you need enormous inflation. Technology is advancing so much, it is keeping costs lower. Artificial intelligence, robotics, Technology in general will continue to make things cheaper and cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. And in addition to that, the supply of labor that we have is pretty strong. We're in a position that if jobs become eliminated, you're going to see costs continue to be pressured lower. And also global globalization has kept so, costs low. So Arthur Laffer, whom uh, Love uh, him. you know who he is. Love I him. spoke to him, uh, was it last week, Kai? Last week we had him on or something? Two weeks ago, I said, that, what's your biggest concern? Where do you stand with uh, inflation? He says, I'm not at all worried about inflation because he said the leading indicator of inflation to me is gold prices and gold prices and gold prices haven't moved. Then I asked Danielle, and Danielle's like, no, inflation is here. There's nothing we can do about it. It's going to continue to go up. Where do you stand with inflation? Love art. Danielle's right. Inflation will be some, – some inflation is going to be sticky. Okay, some, especially on the wages. That's the stickiest Are part we going to go into hyperinflation mode or no? No, no, no. Okay. We're, not, we're not going to do that, although there's a lot of money sloshing around, but no hyperinflation. And, and you can't just go buy gold anymore because, you know, the boomer rocks of gold used to be a good indicator. And since the beginning of time, they say one ounce of gold should buy one fine man's suit, right? And that's probably still true today. So with gold at a little over $1,700 an ounce, I think that, you know, that still holds true. But gold isn't the only indicator because of the rise of cryptocurrencies. So if you don't believe in fiat money because of the printing press, you had the alternative of gold before, but now you also have the alternative of crypto. So gold, if it were not for crypto, gold would be at a much higher level. All right. So you're not too worried about inflation. You don't think rates are going to get to well, 6% anytime soon. concerned about inflation, but I do think it will abate, and I think some of it was going to be sticky and stay. All right. But here's the thing that we have to understand is that 
debt, and I know most people don't get this, and this I'm going to give a hat tip to one of my mentors. Lacey Hunt was one, one of the most brilliant minds out there. So he taught me this and showed me this. But debt, we know this every time in history and everywhere in the world, the higher the debt, the lower the rates. Because what debt does is it drives economic activity slower, which prevents inflation. If you have a family that wants to buy a car, when we were kids, used to have a piggy bank, I used to have a piggy bank. You'd save up, you break the piggy bank, you go buy it. Great. Mm -hmm. As adults, who wants to do that? We want instant gratification. We want it now. Yep. So we use credit to take a future purchase and make it today. If a family wants to buy a car, they go out and they buy that car today using credit, using debt, and it creates economic activity. Economic activity, what that will do is the dealership, the manufacturer, the salesperson, they all make money, they spend money, but it has a short life. What sticks is now that family has a $1,000 a month debt for the next 60 months, which means they could buy less. And it's the same thing with our economy. CARES Act 1 and 2 was $2.8 trillion. That was in March and April of 2020. By October, the economy was already slowing. The, the GDP for the United States was 4.3% in 2020. In the fourth quarter, it was 0.4%. It was all front-loaded. And I, the reason why there's such panic to generate these additional stimulus plans right now is because they know that the, the sugar rush will begin to slow. Okay. All right. So we'll see what will happen. I mean, obviously, it's great to hear different perspectives, but, you know, the audience has to make up their minds. Uh, the one part that was very uh, eye-opening was to say in 07, 08, when the whole Michael Burry big short happened, there was 3.7 million inventory. Today's a million. That's a very big difference in indicator because mm -hmm. you got almost way too much. And then 12 million increase in uh, uh, family uh, households, you're talking about 12 million from what? From 116 million to 128 million was a number, give or take. So, and Patrick, remember, birth rates stayed low from 1973 to 1979, which means you did not have the influx of yeah. people coming. Yeah, and and now things have turned a little bit because it's the exact the, opposite. What's the generation they're saying that's bigger than boomers? Is it Gen X or is it millennials? No, millennials. Millennials are yeah. bigger than boomers now. Mm -hmm. 80 million versus 76 million. So if that's the case, you're saying real estate's going to continue to rise over the next few years. Let's hope it doesn't get too far ahead of itself, but let's say it this way. It should be well-supported. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Let, let's take a little bit of a different kind of a story. So imagine if I make a salary of $174,400, okay, give or take. In the last 20, I've had a job. This job pays me $174,400 today. It was a lot less 25 years ago, but today it pays me $174,000. Should I be able to afford to have a $41 million house in Lake Tahoe? If you're, if you're let, let, me, if, let me ask that question one more time. I make a salary of 174. I've been doing it for about 25 years. Mm -hmm. Should I be able to afford a 41 million dollar house in Lake Tahoe? And it wasn't a passed down, you know, house from family to me. Should well, I be able oh, to have a house 41 million dollars in Lake Tahoe? Only if you're Senator Diane Feinstein. <laughs> That's right. Pull up the picture, guy. So Diane Feinstein lists her 41 million dollar lake tahoe estate check this out 41 million dollars if anybody's watching this they want to make an offer it's right there it's beautiful <laughs> okay it's three properties contains 11 bedrooms nine bathroom bathrooms the compound sits on nearly five acres of land the 172 foot pier extending into the water check that out look how beautiful that is this can be for this can be yours for simply a 41 million dollar offer I pulled up, uh, looking up uh, the richest senators we have in America, richest senators we have in America. Number one was uh, Romney. Number two was, uh, and Romney, you know, he made his money as an Rain. entrepreneur for the longest time. He's done well for himself. And it's Senator Mark Warner, which has got a net worth of $215 million. Virginia. And at fourth place, we have Dianne Feinstein, 
$88 million net worth as of 2018. Blum Capital, private equity firm founded in 1975 by her husband, Richard Blum, is a source of most of the wealth. Mm-hmm. There you have it, $41 million home. And the hotel for chain a that, they, that they made their money in, too. The, uh, the husband and wife? Yes. Hotel chain is yes. how they made their money. I mean, listen, more power to them. The reality of it is, there are $40 million homes in the market right now, and people are buying them, okay? Uh, uh, you know, right here, another house, just uh, uh, some guy, some Saudi oil guy just put his penthouse for sale in New York for $174 million after he bought it seven, eight years ago for $86 million. Do you hear what I just said? $86 million penthouse he bought, he's got in the market right now for $174 million. In where, New York? In New York. $174 million townhouse, and not townhouse, what do you call it? Penthouse, penthouse. he's got. For sale. So it's not a bad time to be in the real estate market, especially the high end, because they're selling for more than ever. But again, congratulations to Diane. We hope you get the offer you're expecting. You get a bunch of cash offers. We're rooting for you, Diane. It is what it is. Somebody's got to do it. Okay. Uh, did you see the game yesterday? Clippers against the. Are you a basketball guy or not really? Clips played the Suns last night. More, more baseball, football. More baseball. A bunch of guys were wearing masks. Uh, apparently, this mask thing is coming back to L.A. L.A. Uh, urges everyone to start wearing masks again indoors as Delta variant spreads. This is an L.A. Times story, which is not in there. This just came out. More than three in five Californians have gotten at least one vaccine dose to date, but fewer than half are truly vaccinated, uh, fully vaccinated, according to the data from U.S. Censor. Uh, Centers for uh, Disease and uh, uh, Control and Prevention, California has one of the nation's highest vaccination rates, and that has many experts confident that the Delta strain won't cause the kind of COVID-19 surges seen over the last year. I was watching a Clippers game, and I'm seeing uh, who's the center for the Clips. Who's the big guy? Zubak, who's got a a bit of an injury. He's got this mask on on the sidelines. It was the biggest mask I've ever seen. And I'm looking at all the fans. Fans don't have any masks on. The Clippers have masks on and players are not putting masks on. I get a message on Instagram saying, you know, California is back on putting masks on. What do you think about this mask situation right now in California? It's just uh, California, to be specific, they've obviously overreacted to some of this. I mean, you have a state like Florida, which did not have mask mandates and you come here and kind of do what you want to do. California and no difference in rates, by the way, of of disease. Right. Well, yeah, that's true. Then the well, New York is obviously a way worse than California, from what I understand. They don't even put masks on. They put like scarves on, masks on. You know, it's just you know different strokes for different folks. At the end of the day, it's so weird because you go to the games, the people in the the crowd doesn't wear a mask, but then uh, when you're playing, you don't have to wear a mask. When you go to the bench, you put on the mask, and then some people do the old, I, I I just put it over my mouth, but not over my nose, and some people keep it under their neck. And then some people like have worn the same mask for the last 12 months. They haven't replaced the mask. So the mask clearly is like old and uh, rotten and dirty. There's just no uniformity to the mask thing. There's and only it's just... one visual that makes sense to me. It's What's only that? one visual. And it's the Fauci? same it was a year and a half ago as it is today. Okay, When I see Tyron Lue wearing a mask while he's doing an interview with ESPN. <laughs> on Zoom. On Zoom, by himself. <laughs> that, like, I'm telling you, that's like wearing a condom, going yeah. to sleep with no one to have sex with. Like you just have a condom on for no reason. What what do you, I mean, is that just, what are you affairs. doing with that? There's no, it makes no, lo- these are smart people. Like, okay, I'm yeah. looking at the Zoom. How the hell can I get the virus from you? On the Zoom. Or the people I, driving in their car you know, with a mask on. That's a classic on. one. Those that, I that's, take a, that's some good those, technology. Those, those, are, those I take pictures of. I mean, yeah. I like to take pictures with yeah. those guys in selfies because it's a, it's a league of their own is yeah. what they got going on for that's them. Like, uh, that's like wearing a seatbelt when you're walking. Yeah, it makes no sense. No, you got, you're, you, you're parked okay, on a phone call. You're, you're making a phone call with, to somebody and you put your seatbelt on. Like, let me make, put my seatbelt on before <laughs> we talk on the phone. Like, there's certain logic that just makes 
zero sense. These are people you would hoax. These are people you would, you know, make fun of. But today mm-hmm. it's seen as responsible. You both, you both made points that made me think about a story that you were talking about, too, and that's what's going on with teaching the FAA, FAA uh, individuals, TSA individuals, rather, um, more self-defense. And I think this is a result of, since January 1st, there's been 3,000 incidents of unruly passengers. But when you look into it, it's all mass compliance. Mm-hmm. And it's frustrating because I fly a lot. There's no uniformity, as you said. Some flight attendants are pretty reasonable about it. Some, it's like... Boy, it is like really super dictatorship. Dictatorship. Yeah. It's like they finally got this power, and they could be mean and nasty and whatever. And you know, look, I know it's not an easy job for them. Okay, so I respect that. But why don't you just make it so that if you're vaccinated, get a vaccine, right? If you're vaccinated, why do you need to wear a mask? Or why do you need to prove it? You want to take a risk on your own. Take a risk on your yeah. own. Some people, as you said, have sex without protection, right? So they take their risks. They know what they're doing. Oh, that's that's fine if you're going to have to take the risk of having sex without protection. My worry is people that don't have a sex partner who are wearing condoms. Oh, yeah. That's my worry. I'm not worried about those guys. That's to each his own. That's a libertarian They're mindset. They're practicing safe sex. It's very, it's very I don't safe. Understand that part. That's it's really the, the key word: practicing. Yeah. So, um, so <laughs> I, I think I think that when you when you look at it, and you would say, look, if you have if you have a concern, wear a mask. Yeah. Well, well, I think that's what people are doing. They keep moving the goalposts. You wear a mask. You don't wear a mask. If it's up to you, individual liberties. You're on a plane. You don't. You have to wear a mask. But when you take a sip of the water, you get to take the mask off. And if you're eating a snack, you can in between take bites the mask and off. How many times have people have, have went to eat something and then boom, your mask is on. Boom. Now I got pasta on my face. By the way, on did, my mask. did you hear what? Uh, uh, what's his name? What? Uh, 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 what? What's the place we always talk about, Kai? Uh, um, Toulouse. The country, no, the country that is low regulation, entrepreneurs are living there. Singapore. Singapore. You know yeah. what Singapore said with COVID? Mm-hmm. Moving. Have you seen this data or no? Pull up Singapore COVID uh, uh, flu. Just type in Singapore COVID flu. Just put COVID flu. Okay, let me see if it oh, shows up. Kyle, I was just about to give so you credit for spelling okay, things right. Don't no, 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 go back to the Singapore looks to live virus. Okay, right there. Go to uh, South China Morning Post. Yeah, right there. Click on that. Uh, Singapore preparing to live with endemic COVID-19 as residents grow battle-weary of pandemic. So what, what Singapore is now doing is the following. Singapore is officially treating the COVID okay, as flu, meaning it's no longer is a big deal. Look, go back to your life, do what you were doing. No longer the over-regulatory stuff that they're going to. Anyways, I mean, you see what's going on in Florida. We ended up in Florida. You see what's going on in Texas. Texas was a great place to be while you were during COVID. The business didn't take a massive hit. You saw what happened in a couple of these states, well, I and think California it's a, is apparently still going back to what it was before, it's even also, after all the people got the vaccinations. It's also easy to do the Monday morning quarterback thing with COVID. When this first happened, and I'm not trying to be political or anything like that, no one ever seen anything like this in the last hundred years. So you don't know the severity of it. Should we wear a mask? Should we social distance? Sure. Should we not? We didn't sure. have a vaccine a year sure. ago. The vaccine came out towards the beginning of the year. Now people are getting vaccinated. So... The story keeps evolving. The story keeps changing. Fauci said you don't need to wear a mask and you need to wear a mask. It's I think people the problem here in America is that it got so politicized that if you if you're a social distancing fan and you believe in masks, that means you're a Democrat. But if you're not, then you're a Republican and then Republican. You don't wear the mask. And it's just such a moving situation. There's moving targets that. Oh, this is where it just comes down I'm to just individual for consistency, man. And Patrick, by the way, just to go back for a second, my, my son Jake, who's a really big fan of yours, and uh, he ran the numbers for me. 
He said that home we were looking at for five hundred, a little less than five hundred thousand dollars. If you paid sixty thousand over asking price, it would take you twenty-five months to break even. So that might be a bet you might want to take. You know, it would take you twenty-five, 25 months, months to break, break even. even. If, if you I paid five sixty for that four ninety-nine, in twenty-five months that home would be worth five sixty. Now, I mean, maybe you can go either way on it. But if you're saying I'm going to be there for ten years, that's not a bad gig. And remember, it might take you two or three months to close, so you reduce that a little bit. Two months, yeah, months, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You can do the math. It's, but it's, that's how people it, should by, be by thinking. The, by the way, by the way, how many? The question becomes: How many realtors are selling the way you just sold right now? Because by the way, you don't benefit from anything. You don't sell loans. You don't do. A, you don't sell homes. So it's not like. But you're, we provide the tools like this for realtors. Well, it's a different story. But you're not selling. No, I'm not selling. So anything. you're not selling a house. You don't have a house on a market no, to say, "Come and look at this ten million dollar house." Maybe you're representing Diane Feinstein's house in Lake Tahoe. But I wish. you're you. not, though, right? No, so, no. so, so the point is, the point is, today's realtor. Imagine a realtor today saying, "Adam, how long are you going to live in this house?" 10 years, then don't worry about it. This right. $500,000 house is gonna be five sixty in two years. You're fine, buy the house, make an offer $60,000 more. Think about the way the realtor has to sell the clients today. Patrick, it's a I, different sale. I think in life, what we wanna try and do is, if we think linearly, right? One, two, three, four, five, yeah. and we grow that way versus exponentially, what we need to do is, if you can find points of friction all over. If you remove a point of friction like this, you will grow exponentially. It's not just in, is, is this problems like this yeah. all over. Yeah. This is a big point of friction. You come up with a solution, your business grows. Let's talk about what happened in Miami, uh, mm. the, the travesty, the catastrophic event that took place where found nine dead, 152 unaccounted for, for Florida condo tower collapse. Go to page four it is on what happened here. It was all over the news, and obviously we're down here, so we're hearing about it constantly. Search and rescue operations continued Sunday evening nearly for full, full days after Ch uh, Champlain Tower South partially collapsed in Surfside, Florida. Nine people are confirmed dead, 152 unaccounted for. As search and rescue operations continued Sunday evening almost for four days after a 12-story condominium building collapsed in Florida, Champlain South Towers, uh, Tower South partially collapsed on the first time. Miami Beach, the families of missing were allowed to privately visit the, the site for the first time Sunday, according to Miami-Dade. Mayor Levine Cava on Saturday, Levine Cava on Saturday ordered a 30-day audit of all residential properties, five stories or higher, that are 40 years or older and fall under the county's jurisdiction. The mayor encouraged cities to do their own building reviews as well. Okay. Adam, you had a chance to go visit this. Yeah. What's it looking like there right now? Well, Kai, this, can you pull it up so people can see the site? Yeah, of course. This, this story, I think, broke on Thursday. Yep. And um, this story literally and figuratively hits close to home for me. Surfside is just north. By the of, way, people sent yeah. me the video. A friend from uh, uh, years ago sent me the video. I looked at the video. I thought it was one of those prop hotels that's coming down. You know how they no, detonate? Exactly, right. I'm like, yeah, it's detonating. So, no, no, no. no this no. is not detonating a property. This, this is actually out of nowhere. It just collapsed. Unexpected. Yeah. And um, USA Today does a good um, way of basically showing what the building was and what it is now. And it was mad. It's like a, two, a third of the building just collapsed. So I'm not sure if USA, the graphic that they have Click on that right available. there. Click on that video right there three days ago. Third, yeah, there you go. Click on that. Uh, yeah, can we show this? Yeah, we can show this. Okay. No, that's, that's definitely not a shack. Then. But go ahead. Keep saying it, and then we'll go after yeah, this video. Yeah, so people, just to put it in perspective, this is just basically a mile north of what 
Miami Beach proper is, right? So this is Surfside is in basically the 80s and 90s. Just north in the 90s is what's called Bell Harbor. We were at the Bell Harbor yep. Mall a couple months yep. ago. St. Regis. My, exactly, yep. all that. My sister and my sister's family lives right there in Bell Harbor. That's where I go and stay on the weekends and stay with my family. And I grew up just up the street in North Miami Beach. So this is literally um, close to home. And the mayor of Bell Harbor, which is the town, basically the next block, over is one of my closest friends, Gabe Groisman. He's 40 years old. He's got five daughters. Talk about a girl dad. He's a lawyer. He's an attorney. He's a pro-Israel. Um, very vocal person like that. But he's also the mayor of Bell Harbor. Okay? He was walking around with Governor DeSantis and just seeing what the hell's going Here's on. Here's a here. video just for the yeah, audience the to see. Look at that. Yeah, it's just a scary thought to see that. Just And then this tower comes down. Watch this. Yeah. So the, the problem that I have with this, th I mean, this is a sad situation. I, I don't know anybody directly that lived there, but a lot of good friends of mine had family there. Like I have one, my buddy Jared, he was posting, you know, please, please pray for these families. I text him. I said, well, why do you know these people? He said, these are my five cousins who moved here from Puerto Rico. They're all dead. The problem that I have with the media is when this story came out, and I get that this is a sensitive story, they said building collapses, one person dead. Do you remember that story? Mm -hmm, I do. Okay, so one person dead. Now they're out there saying nine people are dead and 150-something are people are unaccounted for. What the hell do you mean unaccounted for? These people aren't traveling Europe right now, not responding to their cell phone. They're dead. They're full-on dead. And the, 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 the problem that I had is emotionally, you hear this story. There's so much in the news right now. Oh, one person. Oh, thank God, only one person. No, every single person in that building yeah, just got if pancaked. It's as, if, if it was un unaccounted for three hours, get it. Maybe they're coming yeah. back from somewhere. What well, six hours, get it. A, a week day? later? No. Unaccounted for? Yes. Come on, man. That's Maybe a, there might be so, a few. That's but, a scary thought, by the way. Yeah. So the, you know what's the, really scary is that the, guy, Thomas Morbido, in 2018, the engineer who gave the warning about this, and nothing yes. was done. Yes. So the... A crazy I wonder interview. how often that happens, where they give it and nobody goes yeah, and looks crazy. into it. Is that but, a common thing? But here's the problem I have with it is that you can you can make the excuse and say, okay, during 2020, maybe they couldn't really do anything. With COVID. But yeah, two years before that, why was nothing mm -hmm. done? And you talked about this earlier, about uh, the majority of houses are 40 years old, uh, 1980, 1981. Now, apparently, you're, I mean, you're the real estate expert. You've, just, you've taught us a lot today. Apparently, there's a 40-year recertification uh, of buildings this building was built 40 years ago in 1981 yeah so something was up with this building something you know i don't know how it passed its code i don't know what kind of fraud was going on here i think number one you know focusing on the moment focusing on the now cleaning this up but bigger picture like we're talking about real estate we're talking about south florida we're here is they need to go at every single building that's, well, that's 35 what the mayor plus. said yes yeah. and and figure this the hell out because you also talk about New Yorkers who are moving here in flux. We were touching on that earlier. A lot of people are looking and saying, you know, I was considering maybe buying a condo in South Florida. <sighs> maybe I was moving to South Florida. I'm not so sure about that now because, you know, climate change is real. It's happening. Whether it's man-made or not, I think that's a debate. But, you know, there's a rising tides here. Imagine living in that building. Go back to the picture. Imagine you're living in the building right next door. Hey, come on, baby. Yeah. Yeah, hey, I'll see you tonight. Like, imagine you're the one that's standing. What are you doing if you're, are you going back? Let me go get my stuff upstairs. I'm not doing it. You go get it. How yeah. the hell do you sleep at night That's if you're the, the building That's the point. Like door. if you got kids, are you going to be able to sleep you're not, there if you're you got kids? You're not sleeping there. You're not sleeping there. 
You're what do you do with all your there. stuff? It's just up there, all your Well, thank you God you're alive. Number one, thank God you're alive. You just got now, – now try reselling that. I don't know. That's condos. Try selling that condo. And, and Adam's point happening. about people being a little skittish, I mean, you have to look at age because this was a little bit older, number one. And number two, mm-hmm. if it's right on the water, you get that corrosive nature of it. You know, So maybe if it's a little bit further back, a little less to worry about. But uh, yeah. this the is definitely water. something that's going to make people think twice about Well, they, they were basically building. saying that they went into the garage and they were showing what the hell was going on down there. And there were cracks and it's you know obviously the pool right there. So you look at this and look, we've never seen anything like this. It's insane. You, it starts falling from the top and then crack. But basically what I understand here is the bottom implodes and then the floor above that falls. And then the floor above that, it's like a pancake effect. So visually it looks like it's falling from the top but no the bottom is crumbling and then each floor boom 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 so imagine a floor falling on top of you and then the floor on top of that falling on top of you you're not surviving that i mean it's insane here 152 uh i wonder how long it's gonna by the way the whole thing with you're saying is there fraud i don't think it's fraud there's a lot of home, uh, buildings you go to where the elevator inspection is supposed to be done once every 12 mm-hmm. months and you see the inspection some buildings haven't been done for three or four years it's just a lack of uh, paying attention yeah. to details right it's th- that's really all it is you got a lot how many elevators in america haven't been inspected on time mm-hmm. today think about it a lot of them and how many buildings like this you think they haven't been inspected i bet there's a lot in america that haven't been inspected so think about how many others are sitting there thinking about this saying, well, what about my building? Like, mm. how many people went and knocked on their property manager's door and saying, hey, when is the last time we inspected this In the last here? week? Every single Every one of those buildings, sing- of course. Oh, not just in Miami. Yes. I tell you, there's a lot of old buildings in America yeah. today. Tenants are going and saying, hey, Johnny, uh, just out of curiosity, when do we last inspect this building? Mm-hmm. When do we last inspect it? It's something to be thinking about. And by the way, then a story comes out. The tweet, can you pull up John McAfee's tweet, which was going viral everywhere. People are sharing it. And uh, John McAfee uh, uh, tweets about the building. There you go, about his building. So go to images, go to images, and then we'll go to USA Today. So there's a tweet that comes out that reads the following, okay? Uh, Kai, click on one of those so we can see it that's bigger. He says, uh, uh, if anything ever happens to me, please know that the 31 terabytes of files I have are located on hard drives in my condo near 88th Street and Collins Avenue, just north of Miami Beach. Now, that's June 8th, Mm -hmm. 2021, right? I went and looked it up on Twitter. There is no tweet with him saying that. So now go to the USA Today story. Go back and click on that story says, fact check, no evidence John McAfee ever owned unit in partially collapsed Florida condo, which who cares whether he owned it or rented it? I'm not worried about that. What I'm worried about is did he ever tweet that out? The claim John McAfee owned the unit in partially collapsed the condominium building in Florida. Conspiracy theorists are attempting to connect the death of antivirus entrepreneur John McAfee to Florida high-rise building that partially collapsed on June 24th. McAfee found that on June 24th, on execution. He was 75 years. The next day, condominiums in Surfside, Florida collapsed, resulting in at least four deaths and at least 150 people missing. The two events are unrelated, but social media users are there's a nefarious connection. John McAfee owned a unit at the building that collapsed. The address of building 8777 Collins Avenue South reads a text message. So no. that leads to AP doing a story on it. Associated Press doing a story to respond to this. If AP does a story on this, which let me see which one it is. It's page uh, four at the bottom. Mm-hmm. Here's what AP says. Claim the late John McAfee, the creator of John McAfee antivirus software, owned a unit in the condo building, partially collapsed Thursday outside monitoring, was located inside. That's a claim. AP's assessment, false. McAfee was found dead in his jail cell near Barcelona on Wednesday, didn't own the property at the beachfront Champlain 
Tower South Condo in Florida, according to the Associated Press review of public records, an image of the tweet in which McAfee claims to own such a property is fabricated at the close of a week that includes the prison death of an eccentric security software pioneer and the collapse of a 12-story uh, oceanfront condominium tower near Miami. Social media users hatched false conspiracy, conspiracy theories that bound the two unrelated events mm. together. So, and then they found out that there's a they found out a note in his pocket in his jail cell yeah. that read. What did it read? It said uh, 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 there was a note in it. You know which one I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Where you he's know, whacked and he's suicide all the Epstein. Yeah. So apparently they found a note, yeah, and his well, wife said, "There's no way in the world my husband will commit suicide." His last words were, "I love you, babe. I'll talk to you later." Yeah. So she's like, "There's no way this happens." So well, Pat, there's that word again that we're what? starting to touch on a little bit more What's and more that? and more conspiracy theories. Yeah. We're starting to touch on this a little bit more, and something tells me with this guy McAfee eccentric dude and all this mm-hmm. stuff. You interviewed the guy. I mean, we spent a, an hour talking Listen, about this guy last night. if you've not time. watched the interview, the yeah. interview in the last uh, few days has taken off. Of course. It's been everywhere. Everyone's messaging us. What was your thoughts about meeting this guy? Look, if the tweet is not up there, you know, June of uh, 08, mm-hmm. June, of, uh, June 8th of this year, easily you can make a fake tweet and put it out there, right? Mm-hmm. Now, some people are saying, well, what if somebody on Twitter went and deleted it? I don't know about that. If it did, there'd be plenty of people with screenshots who had it because to say, you know, then there's some people that are saying that 31 terabytes, you should have seen what's in it because if that reveals itself, then Kai said something very interesting yesterday saying, look, if, if McAfee is who I think it is, and there's really a lot of credibility behind what was in that 31 terabytes, do you really think he would only have one copy of it in one place? No. Knowing the way he would be, he'd probably have five, ten of and them would re- and would have would them all over the place. tell everybody where it is? I don't know if he would tell everybody yeah. where it is. The, the point is he had some information that people didn't want to have seen. What that is in there, some of us will know. Some of us yeah. will never know. Some of us are never going to know what was in Hillary Clinton's, Clinton's emails that was, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, some of us are not going to know what was in uh, Biden's uh, laptop because the FBI, the FBI doesn't want to investigate it. But there's definitely a little bit of thought of what was really in that 31 terabytes that this guy had. I'd be so curious to know what was in it. And I'm willing to bet there are millions of others that want to know, was it just a picture? It's a bunch of, uh, you know, random crazy files that he had? Or is there anything there? that the world would want to know about. And if it's yes, maybe there is somebody who's a hacker trying to really figure out what was in there. There's plenty of professional hackers today that could find a lot of different things. Maybe someone's working on something well, right t- now that Let me tell you, this about. isn't the end of the John McAfee conspiracy theories that are going to run rampant. I don't I think, think there's so. going to be a lot more. I, I, don't I heard so. this, I saw this, but just yeah. to be clear, uh, there's no... Uh, credibility to this story. No, no, no. The tweet is not out there. I didn't, okay. yeah. Snopes, actually. Okay. Um, my son Dan just told me Snopes. Yeah. Uh, we looked up Snopes as well. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I, I don't even look at Snopes because Snopes, to me, also has made a lot of mistakes themselves of saying it's false, but it was true. If AP's coming out and saying something about it, AP is typically, you know, they, they got not not that. I mean, look, we're a customer of them. We like doing business with AP. But if AP's saying something about it. AP's not even saying, the only thing that AP said is the fact that he didn't own it. So they want to look at the record, but they're not saying that that's a false claim. They're just saying conspiracy theories. So mm-hmm. who knows what's going to come out? I can tell you, like you said, next week, two weeks, three weeks, I'm sure there's going to be more stuff that's going to come out uh, about this year. Uh, FYI, uh, we have some of the logos. Kai, if you want to pull it up, I just want to show the logos. We still haven't finalized any one of them. A couple of them I like. I'm curious to know your thoughts. We put numbers right next to them. So if you take a look at these logos, whichever one you like, we have to pick a logo for the podcast here. Kai, can you pull that up so we can show it to the audience? Um, and FYI, if you are a graphic designer 
and you see any designs you want to put for PBD Podcast, this is what we currently have right now. There's numbers next to it. Take a look. See which one you like. Put a number next to it. We're definitely uh, uh, taking as many uh, feedback as possible, but these are some of the ones that people have sent us here for the podcast. PBD Podcast, the top right one, number 10, is kind of Florida. Number 9 is kind of cool with the line. Number 7 is the different look. Number 6 is the lion. Again, 25 is the mic. Uh, if there's any of these you like, put the number below. We're going to go back and look at them, and we're going to narrow it down. And, again, if, you got, if you're somebody that's watching this and you know graphic designers, we're going to give the winner $500 for whoever comes up with the uh, podcast logo that mm-hmm. we end up using. Submit it to us. Kai, what's the email to send it to? It's actually send it on Twitter and hashtag PBD Podcast because it's the easiest way to track them if you got logos. Is there any one or two that kind of stands out a I, little I like, bit? I like seven. Seven's like seven. color is interesting. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. It's the old school. Twenty is kind of unique. The way twenty is doing it is that I, the I, my, twenty caught my eye because that's your face in the mic. Is that what it is? Yeah. I just yeah. noticed it right now. Yeah. First time whoever did twenty. Twenty is kind of obviously eleven. They're doing the same identical thing as uh, 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 our buddy Rogan did, mm-hmm. which that's his image. But uh, twenty is kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, look again. If you got any other, send it our way. We're oh, paying cool. attention to it. And thank you to everyone who's actually been submitting these. We're reviewing them. Absolutely. We're looking at them. We, we appreciate it one hundred percent. And one of you guys is going to get five hundred bucks. Last question for you: If you would like to see our friend Barry, the real estate expert, if you learned a lot today, and you would like to see him have a show with us potentially like Daniel DeMartino Booth, like Adam, like General Spaulding, like Tom Ellsworth, like some of the folks that we have. If you'd like to see him have a show on Value and Economics, reacting to current events that are taking place with real estate rates, any of that, click the thumbs up, subscribe to the channel, and uh, let us know why we're watching all the commentary because we're having conversations right about potentially doing that. When we do that, we'll launch it to everybody. You'll be the first to know it when that comes about. Having said that, Barry, thank you so much for coming no, out. Thank, thank you, Barry. Folks, we, we got his book thank right you. here. Kai, let's put the link to his book below so if people want to order his book, the they can the do book? that as well. Money in the uh, streets. With that being said, once again, take care, everybody. Have a great week. We'll do this again Thursday. We have a special guest, I believe, this Thursday. This Thursday, can I tell you who, but I think you're going to like it. We have a potential California person that's running for governor with us here this Thursday. Do not miss this Thursday's podcast. It will be fire. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye, bye-bye, bye-bye.